Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through.
Jones, and thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, tonight we're uh, waiting on our guest uh, to come in uh, from the John Burst Society, uh, Tom Moons. Uh, he's one of their field coordinators. Uh, we've got uh, some topics to discuss tonight. Uh, one of the reasons uh, I played the intro song that we've had since 2012, because I think it uh, applies to a part of our discussion tonight, because one of the other things we're going to be discussing is the, and this is kind of impromptu, uh, is the MSNBC's Commander-in-Chief Forum uh, that they had tonight. And so uh, we'll be discussing that later. And so if uh, you'd like to uh, get in the show, just give us a call at 347-949. I'm sorry, 347-945-7428, and we'll get you onto the show. And as, and being uh, as we wait, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, the MSNBC uh, Community Forum, just because you have not seen it. Uh, I do got just a couple of audio clips, as I said. It's just an impromptu uh, thing that we did. Uh, but I thought I'd watch it and maybe, you know, make some reference to it. And I, I've got some of the questions that they asked, and we can uh, have a discussion on that. Um, and so what we've got here is uh, that I was actually surprised <laughs> the way this forum went. Uh, I thought it could be very one-sided. Uh, it wasn't as uh, far-sighted as uh, – far-sighted um, – lopsided as I thought it was going to be, uh, especially with it being moderated uh, by uh, who it was. And so we um, – and that was, of course, uh, Matt Lauer. I should have told you that. Matt Lauer, uh, who was uh, somehow uh, connected with uh, her of unit Hillary Clinton. So it wasn't as lopsided or one-sided as I thought it would be. Uh, I thought for sure she was going to get – some softball questions, which uh, she really didn't. Uh, but there was actually more questions asked by audience members, uh, which are former uh, military uh, folks, you know, veterans, things of that nature. And so we'll, uh, you know, perhaps we'll play this audio while we're work wait for our guest uh, tonight. While I'll reach out to him uh, for him coming on. Perhaps he's just running a little bit uh, behind schedule or got his his timeline's uh, a little mixed up. I do see some callers on the on the line, so when, if you'd like to chime in as well, that's fine. Uh, we can get you on uh, the show as well. And so first what they did is give you kind of their format. They did give each equal time, and if you haven't seen it, they did have Hillary Clinton up first. It was a, a matter of a coin toss where uh, he, uh, Trump decided he wanted to go second, which I think was very smart uh, for him to do it that way. Because uh, I believe he probably got an opportunity to hear some of the things she said. And while they weren't supposed to remark or really bring up the other person uh, as much as uh, they could, you know, there's still a little uh, – he brought her up specifically while she kind of, you know, hinted around, you know, about her opponent, things of that nature. But it was supposed to be just substantive, really about themselves uh, and what they would do. Uh, so, you know, being commander-in-chief. And so that's kind of what – you know, the crux of that was. And it said, I got two audio clips, uh, and those two audio clips were questions to Hillary Clinton, uh, but I thought it was fascinating her two answers. That's why I wanted to play those two specifically, and plus the time constraints, I mean, literally something that was just uh, over an hour ago. 
Uh, so we'll discuss that. But also topics we'll discuss uh, tonight was uh, immigration, Agenda 21, TPP, TTIP, uh, supporting local police, Article 5 convention. Uh, with the police, we'll probably also talk some about the Oath Keepers, where we did have uh, their founder on the show some time ago. You can find that and the archives. Or also, you could go and see our list of folks we've had on the show by going to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, and you can see the guest page where you have Stuart Rhodes uh, on there, uh, founder of the uh, Oath Keepers, and perhaps uh, with things being as there, we'll, we'll be able to get them on the back of the show. Uh, but I believe uh, we may have our guest on here tonight. So let's see about opening up this mic. Uh, thank you very much, Tom, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, thanks for having me. Well, great. Uh, good to have you back on. I know we had you on uh, last week. Get some uh, some words from you. I've joined our roundtable discussion. Uh, but tonight we've got you on as, uh, as long as you can stay on with us. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, but first, I know we've got the topics that we were going to talk about. Uh, but, you know, the, you know, when I are discussed, but kind of an impromptu thing I threw together as well, because I think people would want to hear, maybe even make some commentary afterwards, uh, is about the MSNBC's uh, Commander-in-Chief forum tonight. Did you get an opportunity to see that? I didn't. I don't, uh, okay. I don't generally well, watch. Go ahead. Are you, are, you talking about, uh, are you talking about watching the news or the watching TV? <laughs> Yeah, well, this was filmed on MSNBC, and I normally don't watch MSNBC either. Uh, just actually a friend from work, uh, and if he's listening, hello, Andrew, from work was telling me about it. So he didn't know quite what uh, network. And so I looked it up and found out, and, you know, as I said, something impromptu that I just put together just in case anyone wants to discuss it. Or uh, I think, you know, it's important for people to refer to who are the independents and undecideds who is really – at least for this show. I mean, yeah, we talk about conservatives, things of that nature, but I think that uh, our true audience and the people we should be, you know, looking to talk to are the independents and undecideds, and especially with this information we're going to be talking about tonight. Well, I'm a, if you're talking to me, I'm, I, I, you got to forgive me, you guys. I'm new to, I'm new to the whole, uh, whole thing I was on last time. I wasn't sure if I should even press one or what the deal was. So you'll have to, if, if it's a little awkward, it's my fault, so I apologize. Um, so, and if something's directed at me, I'm not really, you know, I'm I'm kind of maybe, uh, I'm new to the whole thing. So, uh, if you're talking to me about the, you know, the television and some of the stuff that's going on, I don't mean to condemn you or anybody else for watching TV. Um, I end, I just don't end up having the time to watch too much of it. So it's always nice to be able to hear what. Uh, what is going on? It's interesting because of the fact that I study what I study. Um, how how amazing it is, though, when you hear something that comes from the radio, from the TV, or from the radio, how it just fits perfectly within a puzzle. Yeah, and I mean, I, I watch some. Mostly, the what I do watch is yes, would be news TV, and because you know, being on the radio, that's one of the things I and, and this is the perfect example is I have to keep up with <laughs> with things during events of that nature. Uh, and I rarely, I could tell you the last time, and MSNBC has graced my uh, television set. Uh, and it's pretty much just, frankly, just to watch that. I want to see, with it being MSNBC, how lopsided uh, it would have been. With, and I was actually surprised how little it was. And so we, uh, you know, we'll talk about that, you know, a little bit. 
but yeah, I've got a couple audio uh, from that. So, you know, Hillary Clinton, I found that Hillary Clinton's uh, responses were interesting and, and some things I definitely want to take note on. Let it rip. So anyway, uh, okay, well, yeah, we could start off with that if we'd like, uh, and then we could go to the other topic. I know that's what people are looking uh, looking for as well. So as I said, we definitely want to get this, you know, the information that we discussed tonight out to the independents and undecideds because they really are, and they pretty much every do, do every year, you know, decide the election. And so I think that we, um, you know, we need to get the whatever information about, especially about Hillary Clinton, out to them. And so let's go ahead and play the uh, the first audio got here. I'm going to do it a uh, a little backwards. As this, this was a gentleman who uh, he was from the audience. He is, he is a Republican, but one of the things he stated that I really want to hit home with the independents and undecided is uh, part of the last part of this question stance question slash statement. And so here's this lesson. He began his military career by enlisting in the Air Force and then switched over to the Navy before he retired, where he flew P-3 Orions in Desert Storm and in Desert Shield. He's a Republican, and he has this question for you, Secretary Clinton. Thank you. Uh, Secretary Clinton, thank you very much for coming tonight. Um, as a Naval Flight Officer, I held a top-secret sensitive compartmentalized information uh, clearance, and that provided me access to materials and information highly sensitive to our warfighting capabilities. Had I communicated this information not following prescribed protocols, I would have been prosecuted and imprisoned. Secretary Clinton, how can you expect those such as myself who were and are entrusted with America's most sensitive information to have any confidence in your leadership as president when you clearly corrupted our national security? Well, I appreciate your concern and also your experience, but let me try to make the distinctions that I think are important for me to answer your question. First, as I said to Matt, you know and I know classified material is designated, it is marked, there is a header so that there is no dispute at all that what is being communicated to or from someone who has that access is marked classified. And what we have here is the use of an unclassified system by hundreds of people in our government to send information that was not marked, there were no headers, there was no statement, top secret, secret, or confidential. I communicated about classified material on a wholly separate system. I took it very seriously. When I traveled, I went into one of those little tents that I'm sure you've seen around the world because we didn't want there to be any potential for someone to have embedded a camera to try to see whatever it is that I was seeing that was designated, marked, and headed as classified. Let us so I did uh, exactly what I should have done, and I take it very seriously. Always have, always will. Sir, thank you. Thank you very much for your question. That blame means that that was the end of the audio clip. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things I found interesting, and I, I tell you what, I mean, someone really needs to get to the Trump campaign and have this kind of commercial. Now, maybe they're going to wait until, after, you know, we get closer to November to do this. Uh, but they need to have a commercial. 
and this is true. If this was any of us on the line, whether we're talking tonight, whether we're listening tonight, uh, whether you're listening to the, the free podcast that you just found on iTunes uh, or, or someone shared with you, is that if we, any of us, did what Hillary Clinton has done, we would be behind bars. And here's a, com- here, here's a commercial, here's an ad for, for Donald Trump. Is you just have a regular Joe or Janet just kind of standing there, right, black, you know, background, and then all of a sudden, boom, some bars slammed right down in front of them. And then just put, simply put, if you would have done what Hillary Clinton has, this is where you would be right now. You know, and then maybe uh, make so many, uh, um, you know, any kind of other, you know, comments or, or what have you on that. Uh, but, I mean, I think that would be succinct. I think it would be hit home. And I would say that definitely should be played in some states, especially the swing states, now, Ohio, even Pennsylvania. I would even count, count Pennsylvania this time as a swing state. Uh, Florida, you know, you know, and, and actually in the locales where you know there's a lot of independence. Uh, so, what, what do you think on that, uh, Tom? Well, well, her answer, and you know, you know, the thoughts about if one of us were to do that, uh, where we would be. Well, I think the first question that I have is, I don't understand why we even give credence to somebody that's a liar and has been known. Um, you know, I mean, there's a YouTube video. I'm sure you guys have seen it. The one that where um, she's being confronted by in an FBI investigation, and 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 he exposes the fact that she's lied on every one of the questions that the FBI even asked her. I mean, we're not talking about the illegitimacy of the FBI at this point in time, and their failure, you know, failure to do the things that they're doing. Um, but looking at the instance where you've got Clinton that is being questioned by the FBI, the FBI admits that she's been lying to us. And not only that, the media has become have, has become so clear in all of the things that have been going on. And then, of course, if you understand anything more about the conspiracy, nothing could become more clear. You know, everything that she says that she takes seriously, it's almost – it's this weird sort of Orwellian doublespeak where – and it's the strangest thing when you hear it and you're aware of it because – Everything they say is the opposite of the very same thing that they say. You know, like Obama when he says he's going to – Just like you know, the way laws are written. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't get it. So you have Obama that says he's going to pull back on the, you know, on the militarization of police, but he's really doing the opposite. Or you have her say that she had – you know, that she wasn't in possession of any private top-secret email, but yet that she was, and the FBI even proved the fact that she was. But yet somehow the media has has done such a great job, and I can't believe that they are still – I can't even believe that they can still get away with the stuff that they're getting away from unless there's really that few of us that are really awake. But it seems to me that we're undergoing quite an awakening. It's taken a long time, but we're under under (laughs) an awakening. You know what I mean? I I hope so. Yeah, Yeah, I I hope so. I I mean, it does seem – yeah. Well, I've – I venture to say that you know most of the people that you interact with on the on the radio are people that are grassroots activists that have been as active as they can be, you know, on probably a 24-hour cycle that went through, you know, going through meetings five or six days a week, forgetting who their family is and all that. I mean, most of us have been there. I'm still there um, because we realize that all all that's in play and the the most the most difficult thing for me is is running into people that actually support her. But then when you ask people why they support her, they just out and out just 
think that there's only two options and regurgitate the exact same thing the media says, well, Trump's a liar. It's like, well, what about Benghazi? You know, what about Fast and Furious? What about the, you know, the email scandal? What about all of these things? Oh, well, that's just right-wing extremist rhetoric from Fox News. I mean, how, how compartmentalized can you possibly be? And I think the better question for me and my activism and the rest of you guys is how do you become successful in, in exposing that? And I think that – I just think that people even to that degree haven't even reached the point of cognitive dissonance yet, mm-hmm. if I understand the term correctly. But, you know, as far as Hillary's concerned, I don't even know what to say about that. You know, I'm from a position where I question, I question the legitimacy of spending all of our time, um, you know, on bread and circus trying to, you know, decipher the difference between Trump and Clinton. My, my best question, Robert, is does it really matter? And I'd like to be able to talk to, you know, to ask people if it really matters. And where in the Constitution it says that the popular vote, is, does it actually count? And the fact that the Council on Foreign Relations and some of those things really aren't instrumental in choosing presidents. We've got to look at what George Soros said. He actually said mm-hmm. the, popular, the popular vote overwhelming is Trump. Did you see that? He said it was overwhelming yeah, I, I, I Trump. I have to admit I have not seen that. But Clinton is going to be the next president. Well, we all know anybody that he knows anything about conspiracy knows that George Soros is instrumental with his, his bazillions you know, to be able to mm-hmm. um, control the the wars and the, and the nation's economies and their and the governments across the world. So does it even really yeah. matter? And I'm not trying to de- I'm not trying to de- please don't get the wrong impression. I'm not here to 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 deviate. You know to take your show where it's not supposed to go. But that's kind of where my oh this show could go right anywhere. <laughs> well my you know my whole point is people talk so much about that and then I kind of have a deer in the headlights look um, because you know I don't. People say, well, don't you care who's president? Well, in, in, a, in a legitimate form of government, yeah, <laughs> I do, actually. Um, but I would like to be able to know a little bit more or be enlightened by somebody that might be a little more educated than I on why it really matters. Go ahead. Well, yeah, we have, we have a gentleman who come on here and you know, talks a lot about voter fraud. Uh, Jim Conner Jr., you may have been on this. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever been on the show. He comes on. He talks a lot about that. Uh, we've had him on the, the show a number of times. And of course, you could uh, listen on the archives. And, yeah, you know, bring up uh, the Diable machines, uh, you know, Soros, things of that nature. Now, we, of course, we never want to, you know, get people to not vote. You know what I mean? You know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, why am I bothered? Why am I going to go bother going out and vote? Why should I even be an activist if, you know, with any kind of activism or even bother, I'll just take care of – and this has happened to a lot of people, and I, I can understand the lore of it, uh, the lure, mm-hmm. I should say, um, and the lore, I guess, is that, you know, I'm just going to take care of my own. It doesn't matter to me who's president. And I get this question – I get this uh, question asked a lot. Um, and then what it is is like, well, what, what, how, does Hillary, how does Hillary Clinton affect your life, or how has Obama affected your life personally? Right. You know, and I'm well, like, yeah. I said, just because it does, well, and I say, and my answer was this, and then someone also asked me today, uh, a friend at work asked me this today, said, well, why should you care about abortion? How does it affect your life? You know, because, you know, I'm uh, anti-abortion and, and, and she was for it. She's pro-choice, or I call it pro-abortion. Um, and I said, look, Trump doesn't have to directly affect my life. 
in order for me to care about it. There's something that will have to directly affect my life for me to want to have something to change it. I mean, I mean, financially, I'm probably better off now with Obama being president than, uh, you know, than when he wasn't, you know, than when Bush was in office. I don't attribute that, to, you know, to Bush. Well, I, I guess I could think that Bush would But, you know, but that's from my doing. But just because I'm doing better doesn't mean a lot of other people aren't. You know, there's a lot of other people who aren't doing better. I mean, the, the country is just slowly losing its sovereignty. I don't want to see that. And remember, we're not living for our generation. We're living for the next. Uh, and so yeah, just because I've heard in, better. in six years say that. Say what? True. It's true. That's the first person I've heard in a long time say that we are actually, you know, anything anything related to the fact that we're supposed to be able to, you know, we're in, in, in to perpetuate liberty, our job is to be able to make those necessary sacrifices so that our kids can have the same freedom or some facsimile that we had. That was a good call. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I mean, that's what it is. You know, I mean, I don't know if you're a parent, but I am, and, and I'm not trying to take away from people who are not. Uh, but, I mean, because you know, I believe, you know, we are the sole responsibility, you know, our sole responsibility is for, you know, our own our own children. I don't feel like I'm, frankly, I mean, I don't feel like I'm responsible for someone else's ch- child. I'm responsible for mine. Uh, you know, call me callous, I don't know, but, you know, I think that's, you know, part of our responsibility as being parents. Uh, but anyway, not you know, as you pointed out earlier, trying to go off on, you know, a different tangent or, t- or take the show in a different direction, which, as you can probably tell by now, we do digress some. Uh, but anyway, but, you know, so bringing it back to, you know, that question with Hillary Clinton, uh, saying, well, how does it affect you? It's like, well, I said this in the last show, and I've, I've said this to many people. What we're talking about now between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, whether you like the guy, whether you hate the guy, whether it's your first choice, whether you'd rather vote for Gary Johnson, which, I, you know, I've got a history of vote for third party, not doing it this time. But the thing is, is that I think that it's most basic that what we're talking about in independence, think about this, you know, when, when you're deciding and you undecided on who you're going to vote for, you've got really two basic choices. And I'm not even saying it's the, it's the greater of the two evils. We both know that both of them probably aren't the best people. One I would say better than, than the other. However, what it comes down to, in my opinion, is, is between nationalism, which is being, you know, I'm using the word represented kind of loosely, represent, is represented by Donald Trump. And then you have statism, you have globalism represented by Hillary Clinton. That, that, that's your choices. If you want to see globalism, if you want to see the United States lose, you know, lose its sovereignty to, you know, multinational uh, organizations, maybe even multinational corporations that have no, okay, you know, that have no loyalties to any nation. They only have uh, loyalties to the bottom line. Or you have, you know, loyalty to America, to our Constitution, to uh, our freedom that we're not going to give up, to our resources. They want our resources. Now, if you want to protect mm-hmm. that, you vote for Donald Trump. If you want to have our resources mm-hmm. going to other nations, our, you know, our, our, our treasure, our people, then then Hillary Clinton's your person. Where are your loyalties lie? And I say, if you want to vote for Hillary Clinton and you want to, ha- you know, be in a, a system that's like Europe, move to Europe. What do you say? I think I think it's I think what you're saying is great. You know, I I, I actually will have to digress a bit and say that you know um, when I say that voting doesn't matter, 
Um, I do vote, and the reason why I do is probably because I've done it since I was of age to vote, even when I was too ignorant to know who to vote for, um, which is another problem entirely that we're dealing with. But, um, you know, it's really been a, a popularity contest. It's been an emotional roller coaster contest. People um, have abandoned their facts, and they've traded in their facts for um, random, unsubstantiated opinions based on you know, on feelings and rather, and not on facts. Um, you know, it's very clear to me when people say, well, who would you choose? And why would you vote for Trump? Because he never talks about the Constitution. What most people don't really understand is, you know, I've been following Alex Jones for a while, for example, right? And a multitude of other people just to try to get a kind of a feeling on what everybody's talking about. Kind of like you with MSNBC News. Um, because it's really interesting. <laughs> There are little bits of truth interwoven with the lies to make that lie successful. And um, Alex said that there was more to Trump than most people realize. Well, what most people don't know that really don't understand conspiracy, for example, is that Trump would almost be considered almost like a John Birch society member. And what I mean by that is not in a derogatory sense, because I'm, I'm not in a position, I don't you know, they're not derogatory by any stretch of the imagination. But what I mean in saying that is that he's striking every one of the agenda items that the Birch Society has been after for 58 years. So when he comes out and he says that he's not for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, there's something that he understands, and he's trying to communicate with the people that understand what he's talking about. When he talks about auditing the Federal Reserve, that wasn't Ron Paul that started that. That was the society that started that. And so, so that's another pillar of the globalist agenda. You know, he's talking about Common Core, another globalist pillar. He's talking about na uh, global environmentalism, another, another pillar. All of the same pillars that he's trying to communicate, saying that he understands the pillars of the global agenda, and he's speaking them in an almost, in a strange way, and I hate to say this, especially using the word Trump, but almost in a politically correct fashion, in a way that he can actually get away with it um, by giving as much truth to people without thinking that he's a complete conspiracy theorist. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Because a lot of people, well, back to the, my two very intelligent, very good friends uh, that said one's a nurse, one's a, uh, a professor. And, you know, brilliant, brilliant guy. He even has his own philosophical perspective published. Um, and I'm getting some background stuff. I don't know if we got some, if you have some feedback coming through the speakers. Uh, but there, yeah, we do. We got some feedback coming out. So if anyone's got their speakers on, uh, if we can turn your speakers down. Better? It's coming back to me. Yeah, it's coming back to me. I apologize. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, it's still happening a little bit. I tell you what, if you want to just uh, get your mic until you're talking, I hate to do that, but you know maybe that that'll help. Uh, but anyway, oh, that and so is that coming through me? It may be. <laughs> okay. Besides Let's mine, try. you're the only other mic I've got on. Okay, I'm muting. Okay, so okay, well, um, and then we'll, we'll, you know, I'm definitely gonna open it up, and then that's when I'm quiet, and then you will just hear yourself. Well, well, we'll see how that goes. But anyway, so, but they're they're like they're gonna, you know, vote for uh, 
for Trump. I'm not Trump for Hillary. Uh, they're like, oh, they're just afraid of things that uh, he he said. And, and you know, we can address some of those uh, for you independents and undecided. I think it's a, a dumb idea. One of those, uh, since we're talking about the national security, being the commander in chief, is having other places uh, such as uh, Japan, uh, which is one of our allies, and uh, North Korea. Not North Korea, South Korea, uh, to have uh, nuclear weapons to defend themselves against uh, those around them that already have them. People are like, oh my gosh, that's uh, nuclear proliferation. That's terrible. You, you, you can't say that. It's like, you know what baffles me is you have, and think about this independence, think about this undecided, is this. You have Donald Trump. He says, I think it's okay for our allies, Japan. And South Korea to have nuclear weapons. And the liberals and Hillary Clinton are up and, oh, my gosh, we can't get him to football. He wants nuclear proliferation about Barack Obama. But then you have those same people who are okay with Iran, who isn't our ally, which in all intents and purposes is our enemy, and they're okay with them getting nuclear weapons. What does that tell you? Back to what I said earlier, nationalism or globalism. Is Hillary Clinton for America? She's not. Anything that can bring the United States down, I think she's for. Because it's leveling the playing field. You hear that all the time. And unfortunately, you've heard leveling the playing field so much, you hear Republicans and so-called conservatives saying it all, starting to say it. Let's level the playing field. And so if you're deciding on who is going to be the next president and who you're going to vote for, that's something I'd not be afraid of. And I've heard so many people, oh, I'm so afraid of that. I'm more afraid of what Hillary Clinton has done. Look at her emails. Look at that audio clip we, pay, you know, we played and the other one I'm going to uh, get ready to play. And we'll, we'll, we'll play that in a few minutes after we get uh, some more comments uh, from you, Tom. So I'm more concerned well, about what, you know, he's like, go ahead. Oh, well, just if you got a thought, let it roll. No, and I'll just get a um, – no, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I was on the roll, but, you know, you, you stopped my ball. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> you know, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. So, no, no, go ahead. I, I'm one of those – because and my daughter gets to me about this all the time. Like we'll be, ha- I'll be having one, what she calls one of my lectures, and then she'll interrupt me in my, during my what she calls my lecture, and she's like, "Dad, why are you starting all over? You just told me this." I said, "Well, because I want to complete a thought because I think linearly. Okay, I'm not just stop and go, stop and go. You know, I'm going to finish my thought out, but now I got to start all over because what my thoughts and my string of words they all connect." You know, and that's going to give it meaning. So I have to start all over with my lecture. Absolutely hate it. But anyway, uh, so we'll just go ahead and bring it back over to you, Tom. I do see some other folks on the line. Push the one on your number dial uh, when you're ready to chime in. And uh, we'll bring it back to you, Tom, and I'll play the next audio. And, uh, wow, I've got a couple interesting things I want to talk about on that. And then we'll get to some of our other topics we're going to discuss tonight. But first, before we do that, uh, we do have to – do a little because I see it's at the, uh, the bottom of the hour. And at the bottom of the hour, we'd like to hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. We'd like to. Let's see if we can hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. 
Interesting. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And if you're on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen the PJNet hashtag, uh, so check that out. Uh, And you probably have seen some uh, tweets from myself. And also, uh, you can follow me on Twitter by going to the website at www.barslogicpoliticaltalk.com. You can follow uh, me there on Twitter and uh, get some of my tweets. I, I have some automatic ones. I, I do some tweets and things out myself. Uh, so definitely check that out if you're a Twitter user. So let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Tom. Then I'm going to play that audio clip, and uh, we'll move forward from there. Go ahead. Starting to say now a lot um, to be able to get through the political muck is that, um, you know, people talk about conservative, um, liberal, uh they talk about rich and poor and Christian and Muslim and, you know, the governments throughout history, most people don't realize, I'm sure it's no stranger to you and you can probably go into more detail than I can, um, has always tried to divide people in order to be, you know, to, in order to conquer them. And America is no exception. So that now what I'm starting to say when I go and speak in public and, and stuff on other radio stations is that there's only, you know, aside from being right and wrong, um, there's American and anti-American. And, you know, although, you know, we've redefined the English language, or I should say the government has redefined the English language, or we've allowed <laughs> them to redefine the English language, um, really the, the, truth of the, the truth of the matter is, is that there is, there is um, you know, there is uh, right, there is wrong. Those are pretty black and white. Um, and we have what, Unless what you're Hillary Clinton. American and anti-American. So my question really nece- isn't necessarily... You know, are you pro pro globalism or you know, or not globalism? Um, again, most of the people that utilize terms. I when I when I started, my awakening was at the Tea Party in 2008, and I will tell you, I was 45 at the time, and I had never read a book, and so everything I've known has been in the last eight years, and I was spouting um, neoconservative rhetoric as a Trotskyite-style Marxist, um, and people didn't even know the difference. And so that's why it's really important to, for me when I started getting into studying law and, and some of those things is to be able to uh, help people understand what words really mean, not necessarily by defining them, but urging them to be able to look at how words have changed over time. You know, you look at the Constitution and people are like, well, Wikipedia says this. Well, no, you look at your Webster's 1828 dictionary, the closest dictionary at the time that these words were written, and try to understand what was going on in addition to looking at the, to try to look for the proper context. So we have what is American and we have what is anti-American. Everything else is out the window. So if we can focus on that and help people understand, you know, like I did several years after I became active, you know, and I love my country. I was never a devout Marxist because I wanted to be. It was just a matter of becoming educated. And so when I started looking at, this, at our standard, which was God's law, 
that was, uh, you know, I don't know the word you want to use, uh, uh, supported by the Constitution, you know, uh, as our standard for our country, there's either pro-American under our Constitution or anti-American that deviates from that. And so when we talk about things, sorry, this has been a long way around this, but when we talk about war, oh, that's okay. We got plenty of time. <laughs> when we talk about going in and we talk about going into foreign wars and all of that, what's really, really interesting to me is that patriotism now is defined by our government involvement in places where we shouldn't be. You know, patriotism used to be, I think, according to our founders, I was reading, and I can't remember the quotes necessarily. But it was being able to stand up against the overreach of government by being able to identify it and articulate it. And so – and now we've got Obama saying, oh, well, it's patriotic to pay taxes. Well, that's a whole different three-hour show or more. Whatever. You know? But the whole point behind all that is – I remember the – remember the uh, the T. Remember the T. Well, if we, don't have our, if we don't have our constitution, we don't have a country. Because that constitution defines, in addition to our borders, which we also don't seem to have anymore either, you know, we're, we're, right. we're incrementally allowing our government to be able to not only redefine our English language, but redefine our borders or abolish them altogether, and to be able to tell us that our mm-hmm. constitution isn't important anymore when you've got Supreme Court justices like Ginsburg, you know, that says that it's, you know, the constitution is really, you know, it's, it's old and, you know, we're going to be adhering more to you know, the UN Charter and international law. Well, we look at, so let's look at the, the, the whole point of our military. Is our point of, of military to be able to go into foreign countries, spread democracy, which I call political syphilis, so excuse me. Um, but, um, into, <laughs> wow. You know, into, yeah, I know, politically correct I am. I actually said that on uh, my local radio station here in Boise. But, um, you know, is, is if we're going to spread a form of government we wouldn't even want for ourselves, what does that tell you? And then if we're going to go and say, oh, well, we need to go and blow up ISIS, most people that – I mean, our governments create phantom enemies. Evidence of it is clear everywhere, even when you've got uh, – who is that guy, the attorney general that was saying we can't let a crisis go to waste? I mean, it's, it's classic Machiavellian, at least from my knowledge of Machiavelli so far – is is those things well, I've read the press so. <laughs> a long time ago. Well, I'm just going by what you know, by what I've heard. I haven't even had a chance to read the book yet. But I'm just hearing from oh, other sources. Book. That's why I say as far as I understand. I I've only been at this eight years, so everybody give me a break. <laughs> but um so no, well, I am this minor in philosophy in college, so <laughs> Well, you know, I'm I'm honored to be in front of such enlightened folks and to be able to be challenged on what I've learned and, and be corrected and, and all of that and all of that. But I just, in a long, in the long way around it, you know, there are certain things that our constitution allows the federal government to do and certain things not. There are certain things that our state constitutions allow and there's certain things that don't. To be able to allow TSA to be involved, to be able to have the federal government tell us that we can't carry firearms on an airplane you ever wonder why nobody ever fought that? Our, con- our Second Amendment, because nobody or very few people understand the proper jurisdiction, I call it, of the Second Amendment. I got in an argument with sheriffs, police chiefs, and legislators from Utah and Nevada and Boise about the Second Amendment. And I said, I'm here to tell you that the Second Amendment 
um, for example, is something that actually relates to the states uh, under the Bill of Rights was the state's protection against federal overreach, period. Well, somebody says, well, in Federalist 51, Madison talks about the fact that each government gets to uh, or has the ability to be able to check itself. Well, I disagree. And there's no attorney I know that can defend his position against what I'm saying, not to make me superior, just that I haven't got to that point yet. The Second Amendment is – so we look at this. So we look at the First Amendment, right? And, and so the First Amendment says that, um, you know, you have all of the five things that, you know, the federal government can't do. Congress can't make any law, you know, establishing religion. Okay. Well, if the First Amendment through the Tenth Amendment are basically Congress shall not, then that means it's left for the states or the people to decide. So if the First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, are you meaning to tell me that somehow the federal go- or that the you know that the states aren't um, that uh, the Second Amendment doesn't apply the same way that? And so we get into this whole thing where you know, like the reason why I bring that up is because the state of Idaho in our Second Amendment groups will say, well, don't mess with our the states will make Second Amendment or laws gun laws. And they'll say, don't mess with our Second Amendment. And I laugh and I say, they're not. They're gun laws. If the federal government has no authority to be able to write gun laws, the states do. If the people are stupid enough not to understand that, then we don't deserve to have firearms. And so where I'm, where I'm going with that, um, not to deviate from your topic about you know, the, the military and the Constitution, these are just some of the primary examples that I'm working on that seem to – trigger some thought which is why i kind of brought them up and to be able to see if there's any constitutional you know people that might want to challenge what i'm talking about um and and maybe put me in my place so that i don't sound like an idiot when i go off spouting this kind of stuff somewhere else but it's without be kelly our constitutional scholar <laughs> it's, it's it's americanism and anti-americanism which are you and if you are american you've got to you've got to understand what makes you an american if you think going out and and, and saying, oh, I support my troops. I tell people two things on the radio a lot. We don't love our kids, and we don't love our military. Oh, and the vets get so mad, and the teachers get mad. Well, why do you say that I don't love my kids? Who would leave them in $100 trillion worth of debt? If you love your troops, why do you say that you support your troops going into god-awful places, into unconstitutionally declared wars? And, and supporting them um, and having them subject themselves to the VA with pieces and parts of their brains and their bodies blown off, knowing that the VA doesn't take near as good care of them as if they were constitutionally instituted, should. So anyway, I, I apologize. I can go off on a rant. But you know, you get my point. Oh, that's okay. we got two hours left. Uh, sure. <laughs> so uh, we'll uh, – you know, just to, just to answer that, and that's going to say Trump uh, actually – uh, touched on uh, during that forum is, is what's going on uh, with the VA uh, now. There's to talk about the possibilities of uh, privatizing the VA, which is something that Hillary Clinton, of course, uh, is against. Uh, but it sounds like something uh, Trump would uh, perhaps get behind uh, on that, and we'll see how that issue pans out with different information, things of that nature. I think you know anything, almost not everything, but almost anything privatized. Uh, can do better for uh, than can do better than the government. When I was young, uh, I didn't always think that. 
but if, uh, as time has, has gone on and I've, I've seen uh, certain things, it's definitely changed my uh, perspectives. Not that I was ever a liberal, but I, I always thought that, you know, if you can get the right, uh, the right government people in there, they can really do right uh, by the country. And, and maybe that's still the case. Maybe that's something uh, that can still happen. But I'm just starting to think that, at least on the federal level, I mean, by the time you do what you need to do, uh, to reach the federal level, you're pretty much corrupted, <laughs> you, can, you know, and uh, co-opted and corrupted uh, with the federal system. That is, it, it makes that impossible. I don't know. Well, one um, thought, one thought on that note is, is the, uh, you know, you may want to look at the privatization of the Idaho prisons. We had such a problem out here. They had to, um, they had to abolish the CCA or tell them that they no longer had the authority to be here because they were beating and killing inmates. And so, Privatization is, a, I understand, is a pretty prominent um, libertarian view, but there's incredible dangers in that. Because, and one of the things to consider is that it lacks government. Okay, I know what you're going to say, but it lacks accountability. So if we're going to create government, the problems that you're we going to say government today, oversight, where are you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, my my point my point <laughs> in saying that is the gov the government is uh, should be the people, and the people. And, you know, we like to blame cops for all of our problems, and we like to blame corrupt politicians, and we like to blame lobbyists. When in reality, I adhere to a old biblical scripture, and it was talking about pulling the plank from your own eye. And if this government was created by and for the people, let's say, is a traditional understanding, then it's our, it's our involvement in our own civic duty in understanding our form of government and keeping government inside that box. When we derelict that duty and we allow government to be able to, to, to grow so large and then we get mad, it's our fault. Why are the cops going around beating people? Well, we might want to look at the media narrative on that one, look at history, look at all that. But I tell a lot of people here, and I've lost a lot of libertarian friends in, in this fight where they say, oh, well, you know, I believe in, you know, in the police state and all that garbage. No, I believe, in, I believe that law enforcement is in danger of being globalized. And part of part of the war against the police is to be able to foment that discontent to the point where um, everybody finds so much chaos that we end up allowing the blue hats in here. And so it's all it's all our fault. You can look at the refugees. You can look at you know you can look at our constitutional money. You can look at the expansion of government regulations, the contortion of law, the um, the institution of administrative um, you know administrative law over the statutes at large. Um, you can, I mean, every single aspect is the fact that we, it's all been the fact that we have been derelict in our, in our own civic duty, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't disagree with that. You know, just in, in speaking of civic duty, you, you know, I mean, it, it is our uh, civic duty to, you know, get informed. And, you know, know the people who were both running. I mean, I'm just seeing one of those man in the street things, you know, part of the TV stuff I watch, where these, the people seem to be utterly clueless, uh, you know, about, about the people are running or, or even what they've said. Uh, but I think Mark what's that. happened <laughs> is, is that, yeah, is, is that we are so busy with life. For one, we're very jaded about our, our own government. Um, and we, we feel like there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, and so, and plus, we just got so much we have to do now just to take care of our own lives. I mean, you, I mean, it's really a sacrifice. It really is, and time, and, and, and many times treasure, uh, in order to you know get active and get informed and things of that nature. Unfortunately, that's not 
uh, I dare say, a luxury that many people have in order to do that. I mean, we've got people who, you know, need to work, you know, two jobs. I mean, I don't work two jobs per se, but I do, you know, have a full-time job and I do have something I do part-time so that, you know, I can do all the things I need to do and still send my daughter to a a private school. Uh, You know, so, you know, there's time involved. And I think that, you know, we it's been purposely made that way where now you have to have, you know, and even in the homes that actually have two parents nowadays, um, who have, you know, where they both have to work and, and, and you know, to make things meet. I mean, because for one, we got so much, you know, things are so expensive and things are, you know, their, their prices are so inflated. I think education is one of them. Is that, you know, just, you know, just to survive. And of course, the taxation, I mean, shoot, I mean, I get a, if I do get any kind of bonus from work, the government wants to take about, you know, about 29, 33% of it. How did they, mm-hmm. they don't deserve part of my, my bonus. <laughs> well, if people understood the whole, you know, if people understood a little bit more about that, you know, and, and I say this, and it, maybe I sound a little bit arrogant. I'm really not, but I'm just, I think a lot of it is because I actually have the luxury, and I should probably share this, um, of of working in this environment. My job is to study current events. My job is to study history. My job is to study all of these things because I'm a, I guess I'm a, a point guy. Uh, I guess when I took the crown, it was a, now I became the shell answer man. So I'm responsible for trying to be able to fill the gaps and talk to people, especially since people are so busy. So even though it, my job is to try to encourage people and empower people to wake up and get involved, I'm very sensitive to the fact that, um, you know, that people don't have the time, you know, I myself was financially much better off, um, you know, and I'm not going to say during the Bush era because it wasn't it wasn't any thanks to Bush that I, I had what I had, um, but I lost everything I had, and um, you know I, mm. I I paid I paid cash for my house I wasn't supposed to you know that said well you want a tax write off and you want this and that and the other I had all my cars paid for, and all that well everything is backwards now, and now I'm struggling I'm I'm lucky that I actually get to be well it's kind of bittersweet really it's um. It's a tremendous burden to carry every day, knowing what you know and having people unwilling to be able to hear what you're saying and understand it. My point in saying all that is I live in this, and so I have the luxury of, of fighting every day of my life, and um, and uh, I don't have to be a welder or I don't have to be a copy or repairman, which were two of my, my previous uh, employments. I'm not sure how I would be able to function knowing what I know working in that kind of a job environment. Well, no, I mean, I'm, you know, went back uh, to college late. My brother and I uh, did a small business uh, doing uh, landscaping and uh, home remodeling in 2008, kind of put in. Uh, real, real quick before I continue on, I do want to say hello uh, and chat to our good friend, Carolyn. Uh, it's uh, good to see you. Uh, so, um the question, do you know that, if, uh, that the company you work for pays for unemployment, although it comes out of your paycheck? Uh, yes, yeah, they do pay. It uh, does come out of our paycheck, but they do pay a portion on that, uh, Carolyn. Uh, but back to my um, point, if I didn't get myself sidetracked, which uh, sometimes I tend to do. <laughs> um, so, you know, but, I mean, I, I've got my bachelor's degree, but, you know, I'm thinking about I might have to go back and, and get uh, for a position, you know, more in the company I work for, get my Juris Doctorate. Uh, and, you know, go to go back to law school, and I'm not going to say how old I am, <laughs> but at my age, it was, you know, with my daughter in high school, 
And I'm like, oh, do I want to do that? I mean, uh, you must get to the point where if you want to get ahead, you kind of have to. And so, I don't know. It's just something I've been, uh, you know, battling with uh, lately. But go ahead. <laughs> Well, law school, law school is important. You know, I'm, I, I actually was, I went down that road too. You know, I'm from an ignorant surfer guy with, you know, curly hair walking around saying, dude, you know, um, chasing girls and drinking beer. And now I'm this sort of weird thing. Somebody actually used the word Tom and intellectual in the same sense. I was, I laughed for days, but I wanted to be, I wanted to go into law school too. And then I realized in my sort of altru- altruistic, you know, utopian, world that I live in, um, that I did not want to be part of, you know, when you start learning about the attorneys and you understand the connection to the British crown and you learn some of these things and, and the bar association and you read the bar charter and you, something very, very eerie comes on. But the thing is, is that most of us are going to operate in this system anyway. And now if I look back at it after six years, I probably should have done it, but I started off going, I thought, you know, I can't necessarily afford law school. I really don't think I'm smart enough to go to law school. So I'm going to do an online paralegal class. Well, I ended up getting the online paralegal class, and I was so discouraged about reading the, the origins and history, which was the first volume. It basically says the founda- there is no firm foundation of law uh, or history of law. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Even I know this. So I, ca- I contacted the the um, the curriculum director. This was a uh, Blackstone Institute, and so I contacted them, and I said, "You've got a serious problem here," and and uh, so I gave him an email, pointed out the thing, I highlighted the first volume, and I gave it to him, and I got an email a couple months later, and he says, "I was wondering if you'd be interested in being the editor of the curriculum," and I was oh, wow. I was really I was really humbled by that. And he says, you know, when I bought the class, the only thing I did was got an attorney to remove out the old English. And I said, well, I'm sorry to say, but they removed a lot more than that. And so, you know, <laughs> so what you don't understand, and so, you know, they, Concordia just opened up out here, and I thought, I'm going to go to Concordia School, but unfortunately that's a, that doesn't include the undergrad program, so you still have to do four or six or eight years or whatever before that. But mm-hmm. my point is getting involved in law school, I think you're going to have a better chance doing what you're doing, knowing what you know. Um, like I have understanding law when I started learning about admiralty law and, and, and admiralty jurisdiction and the UCMJ and, you know, and, um, and some of those more conspiratorial elements. Um, but it helped me start jumping into law to be able to realize now is that I could be much more beneficial to people as a lawyer, not an attorney, as a lawyer to be able to help people get through the system when back just a few years ago, I thought, well, they don't, you know, that's just, they're connected to the British crown. They're a corrupt organization. They've got a history of, you know, fleecing the wealth of the American people or whatever it is. I should have done it. And so even, even if the, whatever you're going to learn in law school uh, is related to history and the proper application of law is completely defunct, I still think that if you do it, it's going to be, ben- you could still benefit some people and you might even be able to teach some judges and attorneys. You know, I was at, I was at a Republican convention, and I spoke to a lady that is running for uh, the Supreme Court uh, justice candidate here in Idaho. And I was talking to this other girl about the First Amendment and the proper um, understanding of the First Amendment and Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist and all that. And she looked at me in complete amazement and said, I have never heard that before. 
So here we have a woman that is completely passionate about what she wants to do, and she had no understanding of the proper understanding of the First Amendment, and that was one of the main pillars of what she is supposed to apply everything she knows on. And so I don't well, know why I told you that. Yeah. I think it's just to prove that, you know, that law school teaches people about uh, case precedent rather than the constitutionality of law and the fundamental, you know, you know, the fundamental workings of what the founders had in mind for us. Well, yeah, well, that's kind of motivates me. <laughs> so I just have to uh, see what I could put together, but uh, it may take me longer. But uh, anyway, not uh, about the thing about me. And uh, we are going to play that audio clip. I really do uh, want to uh, and continue on with that. But we do have, uh, and we are talking about this, uh, as we call him our constitutional scholar, and that is Kelly. So let's welcome Kelly from California. Uh, he wrote the book, The Hidden Fourth Branch. Uh, thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you? Hey, doing good. Interesting guest you have on tonight, and uh, glad, glad, he's on, glad you're on the show there, sir. Um, yeah, the subtitle of my book, well, the full title is The Hidden Fourth Branch, A Corrupt Government's Worst Nightmare. It's a book about the grand jury. And uh, anyway, we're trying to get people in front of grand juries in California to stop the election fraud. Uh, well, we're called call primaries because uh, Bernie Sanders should have won California and uh, he got cheated. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I wanted to uh, ask this gentleman a question about the bar, the British accreditation registry, which I've you know, heard of before, um, and the oath to the Queen and all that stuff that people have. I haven't gone into it too deeply, because and yet at the same time I'm seeing people having different definitions of the common law. Um, I wanted to start with a a yes or no question to to get into this real quick. Um, yes or no? Can you uh, define the common law in one sentence? Is that directed to me? Yeah. Tom? I believe so. Well, without without any law dictionaries in front of me, it was the law of the common man. It was the law, it was the, the common law as, as referenced, as I understand, through William Blackstone and his, and his commentaries on the laws of England. Um, actually, there was a document he knew about quite substantially. Um, so... I guess that would be your reference. That's my next question. Do you have a reference to the common law? And actually, um, I thought it <clears throat> intriguing. This is going to answer one of your questions here that you had about law school, because I wanted to go to law school school also. Because I study case law and statutes, and people ask, are you an attorney? I say, no, I'm honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are you an attorney? Oh, my gosh. No, I'm honest. So anyway, um, there is an actual definition of the common law, and there is a definition in the authoritative history of our legal system. I mean, it didn't just appear out of nowhere. Yes, Blackstone has some commentary, but that was in the 1760s and 17, I believe, 1770. Um, four volumes. All right, so here, here it is. It's Howell's State Trial, or State Trials of England, and it was published in 1719. And the definition is this. Um, Sol Solomon's preference 
the common law is nothing else but immemorial custom, and the custom and methods of trial and bringing offenders to punishment is no considerable branch of the law. And since these, as other customs, are only only to be collected precedents, <clears throat> how they put trials together, which is the history of the, the English, English law, which came over the colonies and here today, is a bunch of men in England said, well, you know, we have a history in the Norman Conquest, 11, or 10, 1066, and we've had court cases since then. So why don't we compile everything we can get our hands on? And a whole bunch of men did. And they published it in, in the state trials of England or Howell State Trials. And they did an uh, introduction to it. So that law professor telling you, well, there really is no history of of the law. Baloney. There really is. It's a beautiful history reaching way back into England. Um, it's absolutely, absolutely stunning and, and uh, Justice Scalia actually cited state trials. If you write, read some of his uh, writings from the Supreme Court, other justices do it too. They'll say state trials of England. Or they'll just say state trials, volume um, 2, page 874. That's what state trials comes from if, if you're reading present or even the last well, last hundred years of uh, court cases. So I'm, I'm starting to bore people, but I find it really fascinating um, that the the development of our of our legal system was compiled in 1719, reaching back into the uh, I think the earliest case they had was 13 1163 actually 1163. So I mean, are you finding this interesting? We are. You don't bore, you don't bore us, Kelly. <laughs> if you're oh, talking you're to me, I'm Yeah, so I mean, there is a glorious are history. There? Are you there? We are here. We are here. Oh, so good. there's a there's a glorious well, I don't know, history of, of our I didn't law. know if Kelly was talking to me or not. No, he's well, talking to all of us. But he was asking you if he was asking you if you bored me and you if you bored you because he thinks when he talks he's real dry. It's, it's part of his, uh, I guess, being an engineer. <laughs> no, I, well, if if you know, I would I would ask you to give him my phone number and my email address so we can exchange notes because I could listen to the guy all day long because uh, you know I no, certainly I, I, I can do that. Up, I ended up getting bit by a bug and. You know, I've I've been reading constitutional literature for eight years. I went through, you know, Blackstones. I went through uh, Locke. I'm, you know, I've I've been getting every, you know, <clears throat> getting my hands on just about everything I can find. Um, even found an online reference version of the Founders Constitution, which was awesome as a as a great reference I've been sharing with my legislators. But I'm I'm going through the, you know, uh, just every resource I can get, and so um, you know, it's an ongoing process and. Uh, I just happen to be bit by the bug, and apparently he has too. So um, I have a lot to glean from just about anybody that uh, studies the same thing I do. So, um, you know, I'm all over it. So good job, Kelly. Thank you. Oh, cool. Well, I'm so glad to run across somebody because it doesn't happen very often that I, you know, oh, my gosh, did you read this case law? This case law, my friends look at me like, dude, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and so when I find somebody that studies this, it's pretty exciting. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, when we go through, so my understanding, so a friend of mine and I, we've been studying law. We were, 
we went down the rabbit hole and we were talking about the establishment of grand juries through, um, you know, local assemblies and talking about bringing back the um, grand juries and things like you were talking about earlier. But today we were talking about H.R. 10,000. And, you know, most people don't know about H.R. 10,000. And H.R. 10,000 had to do with um, had to do with the uh, codification of the United States Code 1925. And most people don't realize the United States Code, you know, we should not only question its legitimacy, but find out who it's applicable to. Most people have the understanding that any law that the legislature creates or any law that any NGO or anybody else, for that matter, wants to create somehow applies to the people, um, it's, and even if they use the words administrative. And so there's a huge difference. I think um, I think I was listening to Rod Class, I think, for a couple of years and, and a, a couple of other constitutional folks that, that kind of take you down the rabbit hole. But you got to be, you know, if they're dry listening to you, they wouldn't make it through 15 minutes of any of those other things, but I'm, you know, I'm eating it up the best way I know how, but there's, that's why I talk a lot about conspiracy and not conspiracy theory, because that's unsubstantiated. You know, there's a lot that's been going on, the establishment of the bar, the establishment of the 16th and 17th amendment, for example, you know, the, um, you know, the, the connection to the British crown. Um, you know, when you go through and read the bar charter, you go through and read the administrative procedures act, the judiciary act, um, you know, um, the private attorney general act, some of these things, um, they ex- really expose some something that really, if you have any interest at all, will actually force you down the rabbit hole, even if you don't want to go. Because I was resisting it mm-hmm. all I could, because when I heard everybody talking about this rhetoric, I thought, you know, these guys are all way smarter than me. And you know what was really cool? Is that you don't have to be smart. You have to be willing. And if you're willing you to be go. able to do the work, if you're willing to do the work, oh, it helps bitten by the bug too by the way (laughs) but you can't get bitten by the bug unless you expose yourself to the bug and so you have to be in a place and expose yourself to certain things and just allow your presence in where you are to be able to affect who you're doing what you're doing and if you believe in divine providence or you know you believe in god and you you know you believe in his um his purpose for your life allow yourself to be able to go where he's trying to take you and even and when I found that when I resist things the most are the places I need to be the most. Hmm. And so that's why when I when I when I'm faced with serious opposition in my own mind, I try to make sure that I go because I always benefit tremendously from it. Wow, interesting. Well, we we've definitely had some uh, you know some interesting folks on. I mean, as I said you can just go to the. I'm going to do a uh, a shameless plug for the Bard's Logic Folk Talk website at www.bardslogicfolktalk.com, and you can uh, see a list of uh, all the different folks and organizations we've, we've had on the show. Uh, definitely uh, a lot of talk about the, the Constitution as well, including a lot of the candidates uh, from the Constitution Party, especially back in 2012 uh, when we were covering the alternative parties. Uh, after the GOP convention. Uh, but I do see that, um, wow, you believe it? It's uh, past uh, the first hour. And I don't want to get to the, the, the next audio, so if you need to mute the mic, go ahead. And I do see other callers, so if you do want to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, and I'll get you in. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and listen to the uh, second question uh, that was put out to Hillary Clinton and uh, her response and then we'll comment on that, and then we'll get to the other uh, topics we're going to talk about tonight, including immigration, Agenda 21, uh, Article 5 Convention, and Common Core. Uh, but let's go ahead and get the, uh, play that audio. Yeah. Makes 
the decision. Makes the decision. That's right. So judgment is a key. Temperament and judgment, yes. The word judgment has been used a lot around you, Secretary mm -hmm. Clinton, over the last year and a half, and in particular concerning your use of your personal email mm -hmm. and, and server to communicate while you were Secretary of State. You've said it's a mistake. Mm -hmm. You said you made not the best choice. Mm -hmm. You were communicating on highly sensitive topics. Why wasn't it more than a mistake? Why wasn't it disqualifying if you want to be commander in chief? Well, Matt, first of all, as I have said repeatedly, uh, it was a mistake uh, to have a personal account. I would certainly not do it again. I make no excuses for it. Uh, it was something that should not have been done. But the real question is the handling of classified material, which is, I think, what the implication of your question was. And for all the viewers watching you tonight, I have a lot of experience dealing with classified material, starting when I was on the Senate Armed Services Committee, going into the four years of Secretary of State. Classified material has a header which says top secret, secret, confidential, nothing. And I, would, I will repeat this, and this is verified in the report by the Department of Justice. None of the emails sent or received by me had such a header. Were some of the emails <clears throat> sent or received by you referring to our drone program, our covert drone program? Yes, because, of course, there were no discussions of any of the covert actions in process being determined about whether or not to go forward. but. Every part of our government had to deal with questions, and the Secretary of State's office was first and foremost. So there are ways of talking about the drone program. And you said you thought your communications on that were fairly routine. Well, let me say, the FBI just released their report about their investigation. They discussed drone matters in the unclassified but Director Comey also said this after reviewing all the information. He said, there is evidence to support a conclusion that any reasonable person in Secretary Clinton's position should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. Well, Matt, I, I just respectfully point to the hundreds of experienced foreign policy experts, diplomats, defense officials who were communicating information on the unclassified system because it was necessary to answer questions and to be able publicly to go as far as we could, which was not acknowledging the program. But I would be in Pakistan, as I was on several occasions. There might very well have been a strike. I would be asked in a public setting, in an interview about it. It was known to have happened. We had to have an answer that did not move into classified area, and I think we handled that appropriately. You mentioned you're in Pakistan. Some of the emails you sent and received happened while you were overseas, and Director Comey also said that while they have no proof, we assess that it is possible that hostile actors gained access to Secretary Clinton's personal email accounts. Matt, there is no evidence. Of course, anything is possible, but what is factual is the State Department system was hacked. Most of the government systems are way behind the curve. We've had hacking repeatedly, even in the White House. 
There is no evidence my system was hacked. Let us bring in Hallie Jackson. Okay, think about that, folks. Okay, uh, what, she said, what she said at the end. All, you know, all of these people were hacked. And let's say the DNC was hacked. So you had all these government systems. The White House was even hacked. But not her servers. No way. So what she's trying to say she had more protection than the White House? I mean, come on. Who, she, I mean, who can really believe that? Everyone else was hacked but hers. Mine wasn't. Really? I mean, how much – how – Idiotic does she really think we are? Of course, unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier tonight, I knew some very intelligent people who would believe that. <laughs> I hate to say it, my gosh, they're very dear friends of mine and they're intelligent folks, but yet they'd be they'd be like, oh yeah, you know. And I've even had people who um, are like, you, you know, oh well, we know she's corrupt, but we're going to vote for somebody like Gary Johnson because we just can't vote for Donald Trump. You know, it's like, ugh. but anyway, I want to make uh, this, and we got Susan on the line, and then we're going to get uh, the comments, of course, from Tom and Kelly. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, you know, earlier about uh, patriotism, you know, and, and the definition of patriotism. And I've got a quote here. Uh, it's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, it was actually given to me on, uh, this quote is on a, like, a little cozy uh, that my daughter gave me for Father's Day in 2012. Uh, and I still have it here. I think it was a co- as a cozy. It stays at my desk. Uh, I have pens and whatnot in it in the office. And the quote is, and, and I've read this many times, especially during uh, the 2012, uh, when uh, I was saying, look, you, got, you have to stick to your principles on, on who you're going to vote for. And I still believe that. Uh, but my principles are, are now telling me I need to vote for Trump over Hillary Clinton. And that quote is, and this is from George William Curtis, uh, who was one of the – uh, founders of the Republican Party, and he actually left the party uh, because he disagreed with their pick uh, instead of the people's pick, who they ended up picking, to be their presidential nominee, uh, which is kind of like what the RNC did in 2012 with Romney. Uh, but anyway, the quote is, a man's country is not a certain area of land, of mountains, rivers, and woods, but it is a principle, and patriotism is loyalty to that principle. And for me, that is the definition of patriotism. And so let's go ahead and bring in Susan. Uh, thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Ah, I'm fine. Um, I have several things to touch on. Um, I think John Birch Society was mentioned, and um, that's who I learned from um, right when I was just out of college. And I stand with them, so uh, if anybody puts them down, they're in trouble with me, okay? I'll just put that out there right now. <laughs> you don't want to um, stick Susan's uh, on you. <laughs> yes. And secondly, we lost a great patriot this week, a uh, very conservative patriot in Phil Shaffley. That was really hard to deal with. We'll have another, never have another one like her. She defeated almost single-handedly by bringing people in, of course, to help her, the uh, ERA. And, um, yeah, as far as the wars, of course, because of the John Birch Society, I don't believe in these wars. They don't either. You know, Robert Welch warned about the Vietnam War. He warned a lot of them. And, you know, the whole thing is, if people had listened to the John Birch Society, we wouldn't be where we are today, 
Okay, we would not be having these problems. They were the original with main watchers on the wall, the watchmen, and people just scoffed at them, and that includes the Republicans. Ooh, so, no, I do that was a Game of Thrones term. Go ahead. I do not support these uh, wars, but I do support the military. There's a whole world of difference between the two. Um, we can have them here at home. We don't have to be over butting in at um, in other people's business in other countries. Um, now, as far as uh, Kelly is, the uh, expert in the courts, you know, and all this stuff, uh, you know, you just got to go in and tell the judge, hey, I practiced jury nullification. Well, actually, you don't have to tell the judge. Uh, she, well, she asked me a question, and I said, I practiced it, and she looked at the prosecuting attorney and the defense attorney, and the uh, prosecuting attorney looked back at me, and he looked at her, he says, I don't want her. And... Uh, then the other one questioned me, and she said, I didn't think I'd have anyone that knowledgeable in my courtroom today. Aha, she called the other people dummies. <laughs> I had a good chuckle over that one. But she dismissed me, too. So neither one wanted me, okay? Um, and, and that's the way it goes. You just have to march in there and tell them, too bad we don't have more people who will stand up and use jury uh, notification. And then, um, you know, you've got to be in people's, in their face, like at the fair. I went to both the Democrat booth and the Republican booth, and actually the Democrat booth was friendlier. Uh, maybe they're trying to woo me. I don't know, but he showed me a picture <laughs> of Hillary and Brock, and he said, so what do you think? And I went, oh, and my finger's down my throat. <laughs> and he goes, oh, <laughs> I see. I said, no, I don't vote party. You can have an R after your name. You can have a D after your name. You're not going to get my support because of that. I said, I voted for Ross Perot, for example. He goes, I did, too. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> then I wandered over to the Republican booth, and they had all these bumper stickers, and I took one for Crapo, and I took one for Rich, and um, they said, who do you want, Simpsons? And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's an idiot. He doesn't know the difference between a republic and a democracy. And the guy looked at me. I said, yeah, our republic is what Benjamin Franklin said they gave us. And he goes, well, tell us how you really feel. I go, I just did. He's an idiot, and I'm not supporting him. I don't care if he has an R to the name. You guys shouldn't even be promoting that man. And that was the same way as the Democrat booth. I gave them that because I said, why would I believe in you when you couldn't even get your guy who's a Democrat? I voted for Actually, I was voting for governor against Butch Otter. I said, you couldn't even defeat Butch Otter. Why would I believe in you? You couldn't get him out with your guy who was halfway decent. So you have failed miserably. Uh, uh, I go, yeah, exactly. So, you know, sometimes you just have to put it in your face and just say it in a creative way, of course, which throws them for a loop. So um, I guess that was Tom on here, huh? Tom Munns? Yes, that's Tom. Earlier? Okay. Yeah, well, I, I think so. <laughs> Since you mentioned Tom, go ahead. You're, you, when, when someone is, is invoked on the show, it's almost kind of like a debate. No, but uh, without <laughs> the debate. But since you are involved sometimes, actually, uh, um, anyway, I, I, as I said, you guys know, I'm, I get people messaging me and, and things of that nature uh, while I'm multitasking here doing the show, and sometimes I get distracted looking at the messages people send me. Uh, you know, about the show and what have you. Um, so I got distracted there for a minute. Um, 
Well, go ahead, Tom. Better you than I. <laughs> better you yeah, than I. certainly. Better than the guest. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I do some multitasking. Exactly. Well, you've, you've, um, you've, obviously, you've, go ahead. you've obviously been at this longer than I have, so kudos to you for that uh, and the ability to multitask. You know, most women will tell will probably tell you that men, you know, men just aren't capable of doing it. Um, I think there actually are. Um, I'm actually learning, but it's incredibly difficult. Um, but, um, yeah, it's me. You know, Susan told me about you and stuff and, and got me in communication with you and stuff, and I'm glad to, you know, I'm glad to, to – I don't know, try to help out wherever I can or, you know, bounce off ideas or, you know, I believe in, in the fact that if we all can, um, you know, if we can all with all the humility that we have, um, you know, um, come together and, and try to reason and, and try to talk about things that are important. I think that you know, we have a much better impact on, um, on meeting somebody where they are and taking them where we want to go. Um, you know, Susan said something about being in people's face. Most people that know me around here know that that's how I started. Is, and I know that, um, and I and I and I did it on steroids to where, I mean, I was, you know, they had actually accused me of of locking down our own state house at some point about my testimony. I had no idea that that was going on. I just had a legislator tell me that. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I know that I was a bit more volatile. But I've had much much the, the success that I've had actually comes from. Um, with the genuine, um, you know, the genuine concept of um, of loving your neighbors yourself, you know, realizing that the only way that you're going to be able to make to 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 help somebody along is to be able to find out where they are, which means you have to listen, um, and then to try to encourage them and and craft your communication around questions that they don't necessarily have to answer, but you know that they're going to end up walking away thinking about and. The greatest part of my success is I've reached out to, like I told you last week or a couple of weeks ago, is reaching out to the police chiefs and sheriffs across my state. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could not do that um, swinging the, um, you know, the eight by twelve um, that I was given when I first had my wake up call. Now it's more like a, it's a pink fuzzy thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, obviously it's not. It's not real. But I mean. It's just a, a bit of softness, a bit of refinement, a bit of uh, genuine concern, and and obviously the passion still remains. But um, you know, and that's how I I really try to appeal to people is not from a position of this is what I know. If you don't know it, you're an idiot. Which still there's been some mm-hmm. people active here in the state that just haven't grown out of that. Um, they really have the same kinds of success that they had when they started about Zippo. And so um, I encourage anybody, you know, learn as much as you can. Go up against guys that, that, you know, that call themselves experts and find out what they know and learn what you can. And you know what's really cool about that is you learn that there are things that they don't even know. And so hopefully when you both walk away from something, if we both are there to grow and make ourselves better, either on how to articulate or how to fill in a gap that one of us might have missed, we're a lot more successful. You know, I hope one day that somebody can call me a constant, you know, people call me, you know, the constitution guy and all that stuff here. But if somebody were to ask me to name this or name that, I'm not a guy like that. I can't, I I, I can't, I'm not well, I'm well versed saying, you know, you can probably ask, you know, Kelly, what article one section two is, you know, clause one, and he can probably recite it to me. I can only, the Constitution for me is a matter of principle, like you said, like we were talking about earlier. I can tell you what what is consistent with the principles of our founders and what is not. 
Um, and I think that um, hopefully over time I'll be able to get to the point where I can, you know, I can just start, you know, reciting certain provisions. I have a resource where I can go in a matter of seconds and pull up the things that I need. And I guess there was a philosopher or something over some time that I had learned that says, it isn't what you know, it's, it's where you can go to find it to get what you know. And so I have to rely on that principle at least I can, until I can get up to speed. So if that's encouraging to anybody, I'm glad. If not, then sorry. <laughs> you want to be able to vote? Oh, go ahead, Susan. Then we're gonna bring Kelly. Oh, okay. Um, one guy in my political group there, I just had added him not too long ago. He goes, "You could tell someone to go to to hell, and they'd ask you for the directions." <laughs> so you, ha- like I said, you have to do it, but you have to do it very creatively. They don't know you're going for their jugular. You have to do it in such a way you're polite, you're sweet, you're nice, and you just take them apart without even them even understanding that you just did it. So that's what I learned. <laughs> well, Robert, I've got to apologize. I got to jump in here real quick. I've got some issues I need to take care of of a personal nature, so I'm going to have to depart um, prematurely, and I apologize for that. And, oh, um, man, I, I got you yeah, one to go over these other uh, topics. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't – it's uh, – I'm, I'm sorry. I just, we never, no we didn't get a chance to talk on them. Okay, I know. Understand. Well, we can perhaps – I, I, you'll probably do fine without me as you always have before. Um, and I can, I'd be better off to commit for the full duration at a different time, but I, I, I apologize with everything I have. No, um, I understand. Uh, uh, we'll definitely get you back on the show. Uh, next, we'll just let you know, but next week we have, uh, Sanford storm. I'm sorry. Uh, we have Mr. Sanford on. We're going to speak of the white uh, pages. He has a book. My pages. Gosh, why can't even talk today? The First Amendment. I'm looking at two things at once. I need to stop that. Uh, two things at once. And so we'll have him on uh, next week. And uh, we'll be at Sanford Horn. Uh, and we'll be talking about uh, the First Amendment and uh, some articles he's uh, put out about free speech and some things that are going on in Houston. And so we're going to hear about that. And if uh, you could join us then, then what's that? So we awesome. want to thank you very well, much for coming on. Well, I appreciate you guys. If I left you hanging, um, it is my fault. I apologize, and I'll try my best to make it up for you, make it up to you from Boise, Idaho. Oh, well, we appreciate it. Well, well we understand uh, that's kind of the organic nature uh, of the show, and so we'll just uh, carry on and uh, get from there. And nice, All right. Nice, Thanks, uh, Robert. Hey, nice hook me up with you take care. Kelly down the road if you can. All right. Yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll get uh, I'll get you this, this information. I'll either email it to you or to text it to you. Yeah, that's fine either way. All right. Okay, well, thank, thank you. you very much. You're welcome. You take care, Tom. So, Kelly, we'll uh, bring it uh, back to you. Uh, we, we may even just do a, an abbreviated uh, show tonight since our guest had to go. We, we did have a uh, a whole bunch of topics that we were going to talk about with them. Uh, but first, you know, we were going to get into the uh, topic tonight with the MSNBC uh, Commander-in-Chief Forum. That was something that was kind of impromptu, uh, but I just heard about that today. Uh, but I want to get in because I know, you know, it may not have been a lot of people who watched it. And I don't have a lot of I mean, The only two clips I had were the ones I played. Just uh, didn't have a lot of time uh, to prepare for it since I just found out about today. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't make. 
Uh, so, Kelly, if you want to chime in on uh, any of uh, those thoughts with them, or did you get an opportunity uh, to see that uh, forum tonight? I guess that was the first forum between uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, Trump. And no, I didn't, actually. Um, so I find that real interesting. Um, the whole format changed from last year, where people at the podium, and they have three of them, and then the nation... Uh, the nation decides who our leader is. That's kind of odd, but um, so well. From some of the comments of Matt Lauer, obviously it looked like um, he wasn't—he was being actually rather tough on Hillary. And uh, yeah, I, thought, I was actually surprised that uh, I was actually surprised that I thought they're going to give her a bunch of softball questions, uh, but yeah, not so much. I mean, it, it seems pretty equal. On, I mean, and you know me, if I thought there was anything different, I'd, I'd tell you. But, uh, I mean, not what I've seen, but, of course, you know, I was multiple then, too, uh, when I was watching it. So maybe there was a, a, a nuance that perhaps I missed. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm like, hmm, interesting. And I'm sure Trump did pretty good. Um, some uh, recent polls uh, – it always depends on who you're talking to and which poll on who did they survey, you know. But survey of 90% Democrats said that uh, Hillary Hillary wins by 60 over 40. You know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of game show. <laughs> it's some, um, what was it, somebody out of Arizona paid for 100,000 people to be polled. Okay. What? <laughs> I thought maybe you turned on some kind. I thought maybe you turned on some kind of audio, Kelly. No, I thought that was you. No. <laughs> Whoa, okay. is that you, Susan? I think something just popped in on my. I was looking at the computer, and all of a sudden something started. You know, those pop-ups. They all start something, and I hit it as soon as I could. I put the mute on, and then hit that off. Oh, okay. Okay. I was wondering about that was. And let's go ahead and men, uh, welcome Dimensional Mystic uh, into the chat. Uh, we appreciate you coming. If you've got any questions, you can either uh, type them in the chat there if you like, or you're welcome to give us a call at 347-945-7428. Uh, but you would need to do that uh, prior to uh, the top of the hour, or else uh, you will not be able to get called. Uh, you will not be able to call in uh, and then also be a part of the show or even listen to it because at the stroke of midnight Eastern time, the audio for the show will be over, at least the live audio. The show uh, will probably go on into uh, what we call the extended period or sometimes lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark. And so we'll uh, get there. We'll see uh, how far we'll get into that uh, because, unfortunately, our guest for this evening had uh, to leave uh, unexpectedly and abruptly. Uh, we understand that. We understand personal things happen, so don't get me wrong on that. Um, and so we'll definitely want to have him on again. It just that would give us, uh, you know, some less care. We're going to have to wing it for uh, a little bit for perhaps half the show, and we'll see uh, how that goes. But let's go ahead and uh, bring it back to you, Kelly. Oh, well, I'm just, like, um, amazed by this silly format, and I would love it if Donald Trump um, – see, he probably didn't, he probably didn't consent to the uh, Committee on Presidential Debates where – 
um, only him and Hillary would debate, and he cannot debate anybody else if he signs that contract. So um, that's probably why we have this forum. Now, it would be fun to see if Trump would invite, say, uh, old C. Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, the Constitution Party and the American Independent Party. Oh, and, of course, he would have to invite Hillary. He would be doing his own uh, debate, uh, which he, during the primaries, he said, well, hey, you know, forget all this. I'm going to do the uh, fundraiser for the veterans and uh, to go to these, 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 you know, Megyn Kelly beat me up kind of debates. So it'd be interesting if he did his own debate. That was the most fascinating, yeah, the most fascinating thing would be that Hillary has health problems. And she may not be able to handle a long debate. So it could be very strategic for Trump to say, <clears throat> and so uh, since we've got all these six candidates that we've invited and all of them are going to come, including Hillary, why don't we have the debate for three hours? Three hours straight with stand in front of a podium. Whoops. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, she'd lose. Well, there is supposed to be a scheduled debate. I think this is the first debate on MSNBC. Got. Yeah, so Trump, you know, he makes his own plans. He plays by his own rules. He's hard to predict. That's exactly the kind of leader I think we need. So that would be so cool if he if he, if he did that. Um, he said, "Hey, look, everybody else is invited, and guess what? You are too, Hillary. Oh, she won't show up. See, that's what." See, Jill Stein would jump at the chance to debate with Trump because, of course, she'd get airtime. So would Gary Johnson, so would the American Independent, so would the da 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 da. But Hillary would be like, uh, 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 it would force her into a position. It would, it's like a chess game. It would force her into a position that she either needs to show up and fall down from exhaustion or she needs to quit. That's what's mind blowing about the whole thing. And to my understanding, she really ended up doing many press conferences, of course, after what happened. Remember that video? That we put on one of the shows, uh, you know, where her head kind of bobbles real back, and then also a link to where she kind of has like uh, deer in the headlights. I mean, she's not really, from my understanding, doing a lot of you know pe- press conferences and and things such as what Trump is doing. Right. Right. I mean, she, yeah, she's even doing blue screen stuff or green screen, however you call that, where you have a, a backdrop behind you. Um, I mean, in one second, with the green screen, you can appear in front of the mountains. The next second, you're in front of the beach. Um, you know, for her, multi-personality, that would be explainable. But um, anyway, so she's having all these health issues. And I, I wish, well, I think the service agents are coming out. Other people are coming out. Time will tell. They, they're probably going to try to get their... Uh, uh, VP and the powers that be, since Hillary can't then be the, the VP. And then you've got, I mean, it's just so many issues here involved. Let's see, what else about Hillary? Um, oh, yeah, somebody paid for a $100,000 poll. 33% uh, Democrat, 33% Republican, 34% Independent. And Trump won by like 61%. Well, wow. Was about. This came out about three weeks ago. So it's very possible we could have a Trump presidency. Um, and I'd well, love it's definitely just... possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love it if he, uh, you know, first week in office, he puts a list together and says, okay, everybody, uh, here's a year fired list. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting. He said that they asked uh, Trump about, you know, the generals because he said, you know, right now, I, you know, I know more about the generals. Uh and 
you know, and then, of course, they put that to him say, so you know more about what's going on with ISIS uh, than the, you know, than the generals, so, you know, conducting, I guess, you know, the military operations against them, you know, you know, Trump in his, his way, you know, answered the question. Uh, but then one thing, you know, they talked about, like, well, if you're commander-in-chief, uh, since you know more about the generals, uh, you know, then who would be the ones, you know, calling the shots? You were the generals. And then Trump, but, you know, I'm paraphrasing, was saying that, well, you know, I'd leave it up to the generals. And then they're like, well, if, but if you know more than the generals, why would you leave it up to them on how to handle it? He's like, you know, and Frank, you know, as a sense of paraphrasing, uh, he said, well, I would get different generals. <laughs> he said, I would probably would have different generals running it. You know, that's how probably we won World War II. The, the, the ground yeah. game in World War II, because the uh, the generals let their colonels, lieutenants, uh, down to their um, sergeants and captains uh, make field calls. The American Army and the British Army was that way, too, where you guys make your own field call. The Germans... The ground war uh, in World War II, the Germans constantly had to call the higher up chain of command. And if they didn't have a command, they didn't know what the heck to do. Um, it's really smart to let people, uh, yes, of course, there's still an authority, but there's always field calls. There's always field calls no matter what you're doing. Um, so, and if you don't know, you can ask. But I think that was brilliant of what Trump did. Yeah, I mean, and, and one thing he brings up, and they, they've been kind of sticking that to him, too, they're like, and, and, and there's some truth to this. I mean, I really wish he'd be more substantive in his answers. Uh, that's one of the, to be honest, it's one of the problems I do have with Trump. However, but when it comes to what he would do as commander-in-chief, you know, I kind of understand that because, I mean, he does give a good point when he says, look, I don't want to give anything away to our enemies. I mean, why would I say, you know, this is how I would handle a situation? Uh, if you know, this is how I you know I'll handle a situation if um, you know when I'm president because then you know you just kind of tell me and then he of course he he mentioned you know what how Obama handled it saying oh well you know this is when we're going to withdraw the troops you know things of that nature. Well, here's one of the things that you know just kind of objectively looking at it. Um, the left could say, ah, oh, he doesn't know diddly squat about military strategy, and he's hiding behind the, I'm not giving this to my enemies. He's hiding when he really doesn't know what he's doing. Um, you know, I, I, I could see the left having those accusations, and they have. So, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, just just real interesting oh, yeah. how this whole thing going to play out. Well, like the question, they were like, uh, you know, what? You know, I'm paraphrasing even the questions. Uh, you know, they're like, oh, well, what? What personally do you think makes you ready uh, to and, and prepared to be the president of the United States, especially the commander in chief? You know, what experiences does he have? And what they're trying to do, and of course, you know, they didn't ask the, the candidates the same question. And I think what they're trying to do here is, and that's the reason why they asked these two questions. So, you know, as I said, now that I look maybe more deeply into uh, this forum, maybe, you know, the weeds start to come up and come out, whereas you're seeing where the the, um, the questions were tilted a little bit uh, to try to, you know, give Clinton a, an advantage. Because, of course, duh, yeah, she was Secretary of State, so she does have more experience than Donald Trump does. I mean, that's obvious, you know, uh, because, you know, she was, you know, the Secretary of State. However, just because you have more experience, 
doesn't mean you're, you would be be- a better commander in chief. I mean, look what she has done in that experience as the Secretary of State. You know, so but that yeah. So I think they were trying to make one comparison. You know, about that saying, oh well, she would be a better uh, commander in chief uh, just sheerly uh, for you know she's got more experience uh, than you know Donald Trump does. Not necessarily in war. Um, well, and then they were talking about temperament and how, oh, you know, you got to be calm and you're you're, you're going to like set somebody off. It's like it's like you know, he's going to say something that's going to start a war. I mean, it's, it's this isn't the 20th century anymore where people go to war because someone badmouths somebody's you know queen or something. Well, do you know that uh, Hillary made a threat about uh, hacking against Russia of military uh, a military response? No. Even the Bernie Sanders people know this, and they're freaking out, one of them, you know, because of our election fraud exposure. Um, Bernie Sanders folks, she's like, yeah, uh, she was freaking out because uh, Hillary's saying that Russia hacked or the, the computers and any more hacking is going to be met with economic sanctions and other sanctions and this and that, and military, and a military response. Like, what? Yeah, military response to... Electronic hacking, yes, hacking can be a problem because, like, for example, if our nuclear missiles were turned off of Moscow and turned on to Washington, D.C., that's what a hacker could do. But obviously somebody's smart enough to not let that happen. But anyway, um, but that statement scared a lot of people uh, away from Hillary. And if we were in the barge logic after dark, I would tell you about a certain qualification that Donald Trump has because he doesn't have the time of the month. Um, now, you can't get saying that, not because it's Bard's logic after dark, because that's misogynistic comment. Okay, well, <laughs> it'll have comment after, after dark. But, I, yeah, I... Kennedy, um, you know, in the 13 days with uh, Cuba and the, and the Cuban Missile Crisis... Kennedy seemed to have uh, a good, uh, calm sense about himself. Uh, if you watch 13 Days with Kevin Costner, it's a pretty good movie, by the way, about the Cuban Missiles Crisis. Um, he had a very calm head. And now that situation was resolved with the missiles, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis, yes. They made a backdoor deal, essentially. We were, they would move, move the missiles out of Cuba, and we would move missiles out of Turkey and a couple others. Uh, states or nations over in Europe. Um, so that was a really interesting. Uh, you got to watch that movie. It's a really good. I, know I can't remember one. if I've seen that or not. Yeah, 13 Days of Cuban Missile Crisis. Kevin Costner was like an aide to the president. Yeah, I'm, I, gosh, I can't remember if I've seen that. I know, I know it took like a uh, politics and cinema class uh, in, in college. I'm, you know. And then uh, cause I, it filled a, a requirement you know, of, a diplo- of a elective political science class, and it fit in, uh, you know, fit my schedule. It was on a Saturday or three-hour class on a Saturday or something. Uh, but I, I may have seen it that, but, I mean, we're talking some years ago, so. Oh, okay. But, yeah, it's uh, – anyway, um, a calm, cool head, and, of course, uh, wait a minute. Trump is blowing it every now and then. That's not so good. Hillary, um, she's blown it even more. Where she spat on an uh, election where, 
somebody in her campaign staff and got suspended for 10 days from campaigning. So, obviously, neither of them seemed to have the perfect cool head like JFK did. Um, but I, I would still rather have um, Trump as a head over the military to keep a calm, cool head. And I, I mean, the bottom line, here's the bigger picture with Trump, is that if he's doing business, if all of a sudden the U.S. is prospering and the world is prospering and we're having good trading partners, um, the economy gets real strong, guess what? War is less likely to happen. There was a brilliant strategic move to get to Mexico, meet with the president of Mexico. And by the way, Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton was invited. She did not show up. So, or Trump, yeah, he met, I think he mentioned that during the forum. Yeah, so Hillary, okay, so Bill, or I'm sorry, Bill, the other guy, Trump, yeah, that guy, Trump. Okay, so Trump and the Mexican president were meeting, were discussing, they shook hands, it was cool. There was so much peace that can be gained by mutual trade. Of course, you know, one side should never dominate the other. But um, with mutual trade, breaks out. Oh, my gosh, what a concept. Peace breaking out. You know, war breaks out, peace breaks out. So with bladder, 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 something bladder, okay, Mr. Putin, okay, Vladimir Putin. It'll be interesting to see uh, if he has a meeting with Trump. Um, if he calls, yeah, I wonder what kind of hey they'll be uh, making on that. Well, yeah, you know Gorbachev and Reagan, they just kept the communication. They started, they, they kind of became friends. It's really strange. So when Reagan. Reagan said, "Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall." He had built he he had built that bridge, and Reagan had um, essentially built such a relationship with Gorbachev that that he could actually say that, "Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall," and Gorbachev wasn't offended by that because they had built that relationship, and Reagan probably told him ahead of time, "I'm I'm going to I'm going to say this during the speech." And uh, so if, if Trump can start building a similar relationship and can follow through with prosperous trade, what's the threat of war over with Russia? Well, I know uh, did you, did you know that Ronald Reagan actually gave Gorbachev a gift? Here's a little trivia question. Uh, what uh, After one of the meetings, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, but yeah, he had, Ronald Reagan gave Gorbachev a gift. Does anyone know what it what it was? Susan or Kelly? Are those uh, listening? Jelly, Think about it. Jelly beans. Susan, want to care to guess? I don't remember what Reagan even liked. So. Actually, you it's actually nothing like that. A geocron. You know what a geocron is? No. Uh, no. It's 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 a, it's a mix between a map and a cloth that shows where the sunlight is hitting the Earth. So it's flat like a map, and it kind of rolls uh, as time goes on, and it shows you where the sun is, where, you know, every you know on the on the on the globe. They're actually really cool. Uh, Look, look them up. If anyone wants to think of a uh, surprise uh, Christmas or birthday gift for me, uh, you know, you somehow send me a geocron. They're only three thousand dollars, 
so. <laughs> uh, For what gets his Reagan against Gorbachev. Hey, Robert, I'm, I'm not sure that I love yeah. you that much. Uh, for Christmas present like that. Wait a minute. I'm not even sure if I love you. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Well, you can't. You're a Christian. I'm a pagan. We can't love each other. No. <laughs> we're, en- we're enemies, right? <laughs> we're supposed to be. I don't know. Are we supposed to be? I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, you guys, ki- you guys killed enough of my people. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about that. That's actually serious. You guys actually did. I shouldn't laugh about that. Um but anywho, let's not go off on a tangent like that, certainly. Uh, now, we are about seven minutes into uh, the uh, extended period, or what we lovingly call uh, Bard's Logic After Dark. Uh, so we'll uh, go ahead and uh, let you know on that. And so you know, we'll see uh, how long into the extended period we get. But some of the – let's see if you guys want to talk about any of these topics. And I think uh, – this one, Susan, you really want to talk – you would really like to talk about, and I see one in particular I think Kelly would like to. And so let's bring it over to you and see if, if I'm right in this, uh, Susan. And you would like to would, uh, maybe talk more about the TPP or the TTIP? Oh, well, I've written a blog article on that, you know, and it's like I've been calling politicians, especially ones from Idaho, saying, oh, you don't support that. But, you know, uh, sadly, many Republicans do support it. It hurts our trade. And, you know, it's like Hillary is against it, but she wasn't before. She changes her thoughts on things like that as often as um, some people change their underwear, you know, but okay. (laughs) Actually, what I want to talk about is that 49ers and Colin Kaepernick's. Oh, no, you're talking football. <laughs> oh, you talking about the guy? You, are, no, okay. I thought you, are you talking about the guy who wouldn't stand up for the uh, the national yeah, anthem? Yeah. Or? I'm defending him in a sense. He has a right to do it. He didn't murder anyone. He hasn't sold state secrets. In that sense, I believe he has a right to do it. Should he have done it um, when he? Because in a sense, what he is doing is supporting the Black Lives Movement, and I don't agree with that. If he was standing for the, refusing to stand for it because he doesn't believe the flag and the anthem represents the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence anymore, I would stand with him. I, I, I mean stand. I would sit with him, you know, because it doesn't. They don't really do support those three anymore. It, it's like some kind of idol you're supposed to, and, and all the wars we're in. So if that's what it was about, but that's not what it's about. That's what's sad about it. He He's supporting the or not supporting the uh the stuff for the uh I would say the right thing for the wrong reason. And that's and that I, I can't abide because if you're gonna do it you gotta do it for the right reason. And he's he's dragging this there's so many other more important topics but he and I think he has a Muslim girlfriend actually too. Uh, but he's dragging other players from other teams into it and situations. And mm. it's like, you're, you're half-white just like Obama, and you're creating trouble, hate, and discontent. And that irritates me. Well, yeah, and the thing with that is like, you know, what, what – I mean, you're like the epitome of the successful black person. <laughs> what, do you, what do you talk about? How can you say there's no, uh, you know, there's no opportunity when, you know – 
there, there's people, you know, who are whites who would, who would like to be in your position and they're not. So how can you I, – I mean, I think it's ridiculous. But. Well, yeah, he's, he's being kind of – you know, considering he can't even throw the ball decent and he can't do certain things, I, I think he should have – at least they should have somebody a little more prominent representing this situation, but they chose him. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see the Seahawks rip the 49ers apart. <laughs> um, the 49ers deserve it. But, you know, I mean, Kaepernick, is, he was raised by white parents, so what the heck is he doing? And his mother was white. Why is he doing this? It, like I said, if he was doing it for the right reason, I would support him. I would support him. Because I don't believe her. You know, Jesse Ventura said he was going to raise his fist when they played the National Anthem. Because of what they did to him, they wouldn't even let him take a lawsuit to court uh, over um, what the uh, TSA did to him. He was tired of being groped, and they would uh, pinch him on purpose and all kinds of stuff. I don't blame Jesse Ventura for doing that. If he does that, I stand with him on it because, you know, our government was unfair to him and what he you know, trying to resolve this. You know, the TSA knew him. They had no right to do that to him, but it was just done on purpose. Same way with Rand Paul, though he would probably stand. But, I mean, uh, he was held, and he missed a vote, I believe it was, at one time because of the TSA. So, yeah, I think there are reasons to not support the flag and national anthem. It doesn't mean you insult all police officers. It doesn't mean you insult all the military. And it means you are supposed to support our three sacred documents, not do what he does. Oh, well, I'm just for black people and we don't take care of them and we don't take, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he's not getting anywhere with me for because of that. What can I say? That's not the TPP or the TTIP, but that's okay, Susan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This is just something I've really been angry about, that he's that stupid. You know, so, uh, I, I, you know, and TTP, or TP, oh, um, the Birch Society, Bernie Sanders, um, several of our more conservative uh, congressmen, Rand Paul, for example, um, it, it, it's brought some strange bedfellows together, let me tell you, because of this, um, it's very interesting that the John Birch Society and Rand Paul and a few others would be in, in league with Bernie Sanders. Oh, my gosh. But that's what happens in politics. Occasionally you just have to join forces with the enemy in order to win something important. The enemy of my enemy is my friend? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. There you go. There you go. You just have to... Across the aisle sometimes uh, That's the only thing I can say Which you know and, and I'll support them On that I will I have thanked Bernie Sanders for Standing against the TPP And, and that And um, That's important if you know That someone is standing against certain things Like that that are big You know what you need to thank them Even if they're cruddy on other issues you need to say thank you because who knows? Um, the other thing is, what do you think of that with the uh, Sioux Tribe? I believe it is. Um, they're trying to halt the construction of the section of pipeline 
<laughs> and I was, I don't know what to think there. I really don't. I think our government's gone. I have no problem with the pipeline. But, um, and I don't know if these are just sort of like burying my heart at Wounded Knee. You know, Russell Means was, he was an agitator that caused problems. And, 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 and a lot of the Indians that didn't want to go along with it, he caused trouble for him. So I'm not sure what's happening here, but I do don't think that our government should march in there and do things to them that they're like three, you know, I mean, they're just kind of acting like the Indians don't exist or have any rights or any say. And that's not true either. It needs to be just brought to a, to a vote and just tell them, hey, it's, it's just, we're going to bring this to a vote, and if it, you guys win, then we can't build it there. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's a, it's a claim that they said violate land they hold sacred. Uh, I don't know. I really don't. Perhaps it's I don't. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Well, you know, I mean, yeah. That, I mean, I think with anything, you know, that that, that happens where you know it's going to go through those types of land, and also, you know, being, you know, a, as an environmentalist. Uh, but also, I, I think it's it, it's up to them. I mean, if this is their land, or let's say, for instance, they're you know go, going over a reservation or anything of that nature. I mean, that's supposed to be hands-off. That's supposed to be their nation, right? Well, I don't know what we can do to get the pipeline through. If there's another route, another way, I don't know. Well, go around it, damn it. No. <laughs> and by the way, Kelly, you'll be happy to hear that we are now in Bard's Logic after dark. But, uh, yeah, go around it. Well, that's that's reasonable. If they can figure out something else, I I would say that. Uh, and I was just reading this. Um, <clears throat> Jill Stein is going to face criminal charges. She vandalized equipment in a construction site in North Dakota. Um, yeah, well, well, what time? Can you repeat that? Jill Stein is going to face criminal I charges for vandalizing. That. Yeah, she wrote. I approved this message in a red. Spray paint on the blade of a bulldozer, and she took part in a protest at the Dakota Access Pipeline construction site. So she's oh, you wow. know, going to face. And it's like one guy says, hmm. Not she painted about a, that. <laughs> yeah, she spray painted a dozer blade, but she didn't lie to Congress, threatened the FBI director, and the career of a number of law enforcement careers, kill a U.S. ambassador, and they list just all the stuff that Hillary did. And, uh, yeah, so they're going to go after her. <laughs> I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? Just over there. Well, then she'll have a scandal. Then she'll have a scandal and they can say she's more on par with Hillary Clinton. No, I mean, I, I mean, Jill Stein, I mean, I like, you know, I mean, we all know I kind of like her um, in a political sense, okay? But, um, yeah, and, I, and my other friend I was talking about, they're like, you know, somebody for it's like, who are you going to vote for? And I'm like, Trump. Um but, uh, you know, but I told him, I said, you know, if I was going to pick a third party, it'd be, at this point, it'd be Jill Stein. But, I mean, I just, I, I just can't vote for, I, you know, I just have to vote for Trump. <laughs> you know, you know, them out. Um, just, just, yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, I, I would vote for her, too, if it weren't for the situation. I definitely would support her. I like her. 
really irritating me that I can't go to third party. <laughs> I am so well, frustrated that That's not Susan. Yeah. Susan likes to go third party. Well, so. no, I generally do, too. I mean, well, I voted for Republican most of my life, but I have voted for third party. Um you know, I think I've even voted for Democrat once to his true color straight through. He ran as a conservative. I thought, oh, man, cool, get a conservative uh, Democrat in there. <laughs> you know, so I knew the local guy. Once, you know, so I thought, okay, local guy, you know, running as conservative. You know, we're pretty conservative neighborhood I grew up in. And then once he gets in, he cows out to the Democrats, of course. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, they're good principles, right? <laughs> And what I said earlier, yeah. I think that's what happens. I think that's what happens. And, uh, well, well, you know, you, you, you might be a good, uh, you know, politician in your state house, state senate, and maybe even governor. But it seems like once you get into the national stage, uh, maybe that's it. I hope that doesn't happen to Matt Bevin, which I still need to uh, try to get him back on. I, my, my efforts, I've kind of stopped my efforts on trying to get back on, but maybe I'll revitalize that. Can I okay, comment we got about some background there. Yeah, yep, sorry. Kelly, of course you can comment on whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just my mouse that I was banging around there. Um, not my mouse mouse, but my other big no. Okay. Um anyway, so yeah, computer mouse. Okay. So, um, North Dakota, what's going on there with the pipeline? Well, I don't know enough to know. But there are questions outstanding. Well, okay, we know that it's Native American land. Okay, fine. Uh, we know there's a treaty. What's in the treaty? Can the federal government do whatever they want on these native lands, on these reservation lands? Or does the government have to go through eminent domain? Is there a constitutional clause for eminent domain in a treaty with an Indian tribe? Ooh. Ooh. Well, we say that yeah. at the same time, Kelly. <laughs> well, you know, treaties, treaties uh, in in, in supersede the Constitution in many aspects, um, not quite 100%ly, but um, so you have a treaty with a Native American nation. Okay, what does the Constitution allow eminent domain? No, it doesn't, because why is it a treaty? Okay, well, is, is it in the treaty to use eminent domain to bring the, the, the pipe through? Uh, I don't know. You see, there's some really tricky things when we apply our Western thinking into Native American lands. Because obviously that culture, which you know, there's much beauty to that culture, they just they think differently. So I do know from Bernie Sanders folks, uh, there's a whole bunch of people rallying there, and the uh, authorities have blocked off food supplies to the protesters and the activists. I don't think it's going to be another Waco, but you begin to wonder if. Um, Corporations are going to um, have their way in that. Oh, gee, you know, it could have went, uh, you know, 50 miles uh, west and gotten out of the Native American territory there, but we chose not to because we wanted to save, you know, $50 million, a million dollars per mile for that pipeline. Not a surprising cost, depending on how huge it is. Could it actually be more. So we wanted to save $50 million out of a, a billion-dollar project. That's about 5%. Okay. Um, 
But this has been a really big sink, and um, I'm hearing that our federal government decided to blockade food supplies to the protesters. I don't think that's right. Speaking of the Bundy Ranch, uh, I know David, I mean, Tom and I are working on getting uh, Mary Bundy onto the show, so I'll keep you posted on that. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so the whole, I mean, I, I don't know enough about that pipeline to know anything. Um, let's see. So we're talking about the bio yeah, again. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. I, you, know you know what really gets frustrating and, and mind-busying or confusing is when somebody gets you all charged. This is when I was a lot younger. Somebody would get me all charged up about, um, they'd get me all charged up about, oh, did you hear about sensitizing? Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. You know, person A is good and person B is bad. Well, all of a sudden you hear person B's side of the story. Da 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 da. Person A, person A. Oh my gosh, person B is correct and person A is bad. Come to find out, both sides twist twist the truth. You don't really know what the actual truth is. Testimony, the evidence. Mm, yeah. And it, it, it's a dizzying confusion when you hear one side and you hear another, and you don't really know until. Because, uh, believe it or not, people actually lie. So it's a real interesting, um, I, don't, I don't know, but I, you know, I have a little bit of bias in that I would um, <clears throat> that the corporations are up to no good trying to just say uh, middle finger to the Native American people. And that's, you know, we, we've been doing this too long. We've been doing this too long to be Native American people giving them the middle finger. In California, we have not had one. <laughs> the what? I just laughed. Go ahead. Um, in, in, in the state of California, we have not had a single Native American to the California Assembly. Something's wrong with that. Yeah, why didn't Kaepernick, you know, say, hey, Indians want to protect them, but he didn't. It was all about the black thing, you know, so. Now, now Kelly, I thought the uh, the topic of discussion tonight that would have been uh, best for you would have been uh, about the Article 5 convention. Yeah, in the wrong hands, it's an absolute absolute disaster. And I'm not sure I want to see an Article 5 convention. What were you concerned about in that? I'm against it. In the wrong hands. Well, it, sounds, be a disaster. Um, well, it sounds like through conversations offline, I mean, you know, off the show, off air, uh, that, you know, Tom may be for it. I mean, not Tom. Yeah, Tom uh, may be for it, but uh, and maybe even the John Birch Society, you could probably speak more on that. No, they're uh, against it. They're against it. Oh, against it. Okay. They're against it. In the wrong hands, the uh, let's see, let's just say the Thirtieth Amendment. Thirtieth Amendment says, "Oh, we're scrapping the Constitution. We're starting over." By the way, the Articles of Confederation were uh, the first Constitution of our um, Republic. Articles. Um, and explain all real quick, Kelly. And also explain explain for folks uh, 
you know, who aren't as familiar with the uh, Article 5 convention, let's uh, give a little background on that, too. And I think we have Gene on the line who'd like to chime in, but let's go ahead and get, give that description. Go ahead. Okay, basically, the founding fathers put in the fifth part of the Constitution. First, second, third is legislative, executive, judicial, there's relationship with the states, there's things prohibited by the states, and then you get the Article 5th, <clears throat> Article the 5th, and then there's the 6th and the 7th. 7th is the ratification, I believe, is number 7, yeah. Anyway, so the 5th is how to amend the Constitution. How do you amend it? And, of course, uh, right away they amended and there came the Bill of Rights. Um, it's a little confusing. It's it's not a constitutional convention. It's an Article 5 convention where they propose amendments. So what happens is delegates um, meet at the convention from the many states, and uh, they propose this, and then they send it out to the states, and the states have to ratify it. But we do take a step back because how do these people get it there? Well, it's up to the states to decide how they send their delegates. And how do they do that? Depends on the states, depends on a number of things. Da 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 da. I won't go into 50 states again. But how do you call the convention, the Article 5 convention? How do you call it? Well, basically, either Congress can call it. Congress says, hey, we're having an Article 5 convention. Let's uh, delegates from every state. Let's have a convention, write a new amendment, send it out to the states. It takes uh, three-quarters of the states to approve a constitutional amendment. Okay, well, what's the other way that the Article 5 convention can be called? Two-thirds of the state have to apply to the United States Congress, and upon the receipt of two-thirds uh, petitioned by the states, and Congress arranges where, when, who, how, okay, there you go. There's your Article 5 convention. It's happened, obviously, a number of times in our nation's history. Um, and there has been attempts since the 60s, for example, a balanced budget amendment. Yes, enough states were screaming in Congress. Ooh, whoops, what happened there? Yeah, Congress was supposed to facilitate it. Once the state petitioned, Congress was supposed to facilitate and make it happen, and they didn't. The balanced budget amendment in the 60s that was proposed and called by the states was never facilitated by Congress. There's been a number of these attempts where good people have good ideas and Congress is not facilitating. In other words, Congress isn't following the Constitution. Oh, whoops, that's nothing new. Oh, what do you know? Yeah, I think the only time sometimes, sometimes I wonder if the only time they follow the Constitution is when they have to get elected every two years. But um, in the wrong hands, the gatekeepers of Congress, this could be an absolute disaster. It could be an absolute stunning disaster. You know, the Second Amendment, well, that was meant for the militia and muskets and smooth-bore rifles, no, smooth-bore guns, it had no rifling. And so let's just get rid of the Second Amendment. Uh, you're right of free speech now, we're going to control the Internet. Uh, due process, uh, let's just get rid of that. We're just uh, for convenience and expediency, we have one judge. If he likes you, you're innocent. If he hates you, you're condemned. You know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, they could rip our present Constitution to shreds. 
So, I don't know, what's Susan's thoughts on this? Well, let's go ahead and, uh, and get Jane in, and we'll get Jane's thoughts, and then we'll also, and uh, what he wants to uh, talk to us about, and then we'll, we'll get uh, to you too, Susan. But I do want to bring in Jane, because uh, Jane's been waiting. Thank you very much, Jane, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I believe we have Jane on, perhaps. I can hear him talking, but I'm not sure oh, what's well, going I, on. I, now, now my microphone is working. Uh, I want to hear you, Robert, and everyone. Good, good. Good. Now I want to, I'm, a, I'm against that constitutional thing, too, because I'm very concerned about her to met the reasons you guys have already mentioned it. And then they're not going by the, the Constitution anyway. And then the previous uh, discussion, what was, the, what was the one you were talking about before? I had some thoughts on that. Oh, the, the Keystone Pipeline, but didn't the president put the kibosh on that, that they didn't want it anyway and they, were, they weren't going to have it? That's what you guys were talking about, wasn't they? But now you say the Indians are doing something about it now that are holding it up. Uh, I didn't know they were even trying to build that pipeline. Is that the one from Canada or is this a different one? It's the one from Canada going to Texas to refine the natural the natural gas and do whatever they're gonna do in Texas with it. Now I, I thought Obama stopped it or something. He said he didn't want it or something. I thought that was the end of it or but I guess it's happening anyway, but the Indians are I got a little bit of Indian meat in meat, but I'm not familiar with what they're trying to protect. I mean, I don't know if they should do an, uh, uh, the government domain then or how important it is, you know, what the Indians are doing there. If there's a lot of important things that the Indians don't want it anywhere or if they could just move it a little bit, a mile or two over, you know, or is that whole reservation taken down? That's the, the whole thing behind that, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just it's just another mess, and I'm concerned uh, they're not respecting the will of the uh, Native Americans, and that's been our nation's history, sadly. California, there was two-thirds of the Indians got killed when white men came here, mostly because of disease, but it's just we have they're human beings, period. Just as yeah. we are, and they have not respected them, but, yeah. you know, maybe... Of course, then if you look objectively, maybe the Native Americans are trying to blackmail the federal government for billions. I don't know. Yeah, but, I, I think uh, I just wanted to say something. I think it's kind of switched that way because uh, the Indians for a mouth are not treated right, and all the ones that we didn't treat right are gone, and now we're trying to pay catch up, you know, to be politically correct and try to pay the Indians a whole bunch of money. But those are not the Indians back then that we stole the land for and pushed them on the reservation and probably starved them or half killed them, disease and everything. We did terrible things to the Indians. We did not treat them well at all, but unfortunately there's nothing we can do about it as far as those Indians. Those Indians are gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it gets complicated pretty quickly. But considering corporations drive for making profits and ruling the world versus Native Americans. We just want to be at peace and leave people alone. I would I would favor the Native Americans over the corporations. 
Now, would the, if they got that pipeline and they did other things, would it give us uh, less dependence on the Middle East and oil? Because even I guess America's supposed to even have a lot of oil, but will they do that or will they continue to go back pretty soon when the gas of oil, uh, price of gasoline be at four or five gallons of oil, or will can they do something to get the price down to they care, or are they just going to gouge more money out of people, whatever they build or do? Well, the Middle East is starting to tighten up on uh, oil supplies. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I think my personal feeling, I think it, will, it could go back the way it was. You know, it bounces back and forth because the Saudis rolled the price of oil down the first Americans out of it for a lot of the, what is less, you know, less of the drilling here. And, you know, they did it going to go back their way. So then they can get that shortage going. And then, hey, guess what? Your gas is going up. There's, you know, not enough oil anymore. You know, switch it back the other way so they will. And I wish they, our country could be smart enough to do something about that. Yeah, I mean, we're still, I mean, the internal combustion engine was invented in what, the early 1900s? We've been 100 years on this machine. Like, come on, guys, we can invent something better. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just. It's just kind of mind blowing that we're still stuck on something so inefficient. And uh, yeah. oh, that's right. It's not about efficiency. It's about burning as much oil as possible for sales. I, um, I wonder if Trump would come up with any different ideas if he did the ball wrong. Whether it's like he said that they could invent something or we do something better with oil until we can, you know, to stretch it out until we can come up with something better. Yeah. Well, you know me. I'm a big fan of, of uh, I'm a big fan of solar, as well as uh, you know, if we can you know get the technology. I mean, we've got the technology. We just need to be able to get the helium three uh, for you know nuclear fusion. And of course, we have fission yeah. now, but that's what causes all that radiation. But if we could get nuclear fusion, uh, I think that would be something that we could get. Uh, you know, when we talk about clean energy and be able to get a you know an abundance of energy with that. Yeah, and then, then I've heard of people having an invention, and then the oil company buys them up. But I remember a number of years ago, wasn't they supposed to have a different engine out? Was it Ford and somebody's letter, something that you were supposed to go to dump whatever an engine? And I noticed somehow that disappeared. I never heard anymore about it. How about you? I've heard stories like that, too. Um, inventors who uh, they wouldn't sell They're their buying up on the oil Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, so they haven't been in a bit. Personal straight up, person to person, um, and then one which is like a third person, which is really hearsay, but I've heard enough of them that I've, you know, I believe that, yeah, the oil companies, all they want to do is sell oil. Well, wasn't and, Ford or some of those other companies, pardon me for interrupting, but wasn't they pushing that for a while? Some of these, you know, it's not like maybe in 20 years it'd be be some of those cars or sooner, and then they just disappeared. You didn't hear about, what was it, a turbine engine or something they were going to bring out, and you could, it was going to be so wonderful, and it's like somebody hushed them up to the car company or something, and, hey, you know, you guys are not going to do that, you know. Yeah, I remember, there, yeah. Was a lot of, there used to be a lot of talks some years ago. Uh, it might have been the early part of the Obama administration, maybe even the late part of uh, the Bush, I can't really call it, to be honest. Uh, but uh, they were talking. Remember, there's a lot of talk about the hydrogen. You know, having getting hydrogen cars. Oh yeah. 
Oh, you mean fuel cells? Yeah. Yeah, the hydrogen fuel cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- those were farce. They didn't. They didn't work. Somebody. Oh. Yeah. Well, how about you, the turbine you, hybrid yeah. cars? Did they suppress that, or was there something wrong with them? The what? The turbine cars? Well, I thought it was some kind of turbine car, and I thought you could jump in different stuff, even perfume in there, and they were going to bring that out, like the Ford or Chevy, whatever it was, maybe more than one car company, and they were pushing the idea, and it, it just totally disappeared. Well, yeah, there's a movie called Who Killed the Electric Car, which is a fascinating study. But um, I got a buddy who was telling me about, um, in Reno, the largest warehouse in the world, is going in by uh, the Tesla Corporation, and it's to manufacture their lithium batteries. And the lithium batteries actually have a phase change from a solid to a liquid and back and forth, and somehow they're figuring all that out. But um, it's the largest warehouse in the world. So obviously we have a revolution coming where we're going to go to electric cars, um, matter when, though. I mean, it would be great if we can get off the oil dependency. The only problem with the oil dependency is the OPEC contracts worldwide is you have to buy the Middle East oil with with, uh, American dollars, which is right now the intrinsic value of the American currency is the oil. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. When we go off these OPEC contracts and people have their own currency like the BRIC treaty, we're in America's going to be really hurting bad. And maybe Maybe what will happen is we'll have kind of a, a phase change, if you will, a radical um, paradigm shift so that we stop, you know, we, we attend to our own business instead of trying to dominate the world, as we consistently have been doing for all over a century, I guess. But, um, yeah, so it's it's a really interesting study of, of this. Maybe maybe it's going to be a transitional period. Maybe we're going to go into World War III. Um Maybe Trump will get us uh, the the smoothest ride in a transitional period. I really don't know. I just know we're in for a wild ride because the powers that be have had too much power for too damn long, and they hate Trump, and they didn't like Bernie Sanders either, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah, my, my friends are thinking they're like, oh, he was so grassroots. I can't believe you. Uh, you know, I, oh, I can't believe you're, you're not for Bernie Sanders. I mean, you say you're a grassroots guy and you're for the grassroots. But, you know, Bernie Sanders was, you know, not a, uh, you know, with grassroots, I mean, I didn't support him. And I said, well, he's a socialist, a self, you know, professed uh, socialist. And they're like, oh, we have socialism already in America. It's like, well, that'll be with to make it worse. We have two forms of socialism in this country, two forms. One is, of course, personal socialism. They call it a safety net. Somebody's down in elect, they lost their job. You know, welfare is there for a little while. And then, you know you're off of it, and that's fine. And the other is called corporate socialism, where it's part of the big bank bailout. And oh, yeah. that's where Bernie got his huge following, because it's the corporate socialism that people hate. And I, you know, I'll confess this to you. If I, if I was put in a corner and said, okay, gun to my head, do you want personal socialism or corporate socialism? You only have one choice here. You're going to, you know, be shot. Well, I'd say, well, obviously it's personal socialism. Because people, you know, they want their dignity, so they're going to try to get a job. But you know what? The people that get personal social uh, socialism, they're just going to go 
uh, home, and so what if they're playing their Xbox all day long? They're not trying to take over the world. The corporations are trying to freaking take over the world. Oh, yeah. That's why, that's why Bernie Sanders has one heck of a following. And oh, yeah. Clinton, Hillary, Hillary is for big corporate socialism. Oh, yeah. And Bernie's for the little oh, well, she's for so, she, Yeah, she's for, so, she's for personal socialism, too. <laughs> I think she's for, uh, for both. She'll, she'll say that to get elected, but it's the corporations that are behind her. So that's why, like, some a, a bunch of Republicans went over to Hillary Clinton instead of Trump because of the military-industrial complex. Again, corporate socialism. Yeah. I can see I why one... Bernie Sanders has a lot of following, and I like Bernie Sanders people. I've oh, had yeah. a lot of conversations with him off air because of this election fraud and what we're doing there to watch the vote, and a, a number of them call me. I, I just, I, they're, they're everyday people just like you and me. They don't like corporate socialism, neither do I. Had one thing that I was kind of wondering about too, because I know how some people work, but I I just don't have the savvy. But have you guys heard of that water injections or something? That I guess you can buy these kits and put them on your car, and they kind of stretch out the gasoline. But I was afraid to even order one, even if a mechanic would put it on or something. But it, it was an interesting yeah. idea, though. No, I didn't hear anything on that. The reason why your mechanic is hesitant to put this on is because, again, back to the corporations and the oil companies, they have programs, they have programs, your fuel injection, so that you can't do this. That's why they're hesitant, because it's the electronics that are so difficult to actually implement something like this. I mean, this this is how deep of control is it. Freaking corporations yeah. have tried to get their get their money. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, so the so the people that did do that had to kind of do it themselves. You know, they probably had instructions or a video or something to watch and put it on. Because I didn't want to mess up my engine. I didn't have enough know-how, and I don't know if the mechanic would have felt comfortable. But I mean, I didn't ask them. Well, you know, they just asked me about it, and I didn't do any more with the coworkers. You know, someone talked about. It. They had that for their car, too, the ones that were adventurous. Right. Yeah, what you have to have is a retro kit of some kind that completely replace your computer controls for your engine. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, electronic fuel injection, electronic fuel injection. Yeah. You know, what would be funny is to, to make a statement uh Maybe electronic voting machines is is tough to crack as electronic fuel injection. <laughs> yeah, unless they had an older vehicle, they put it on that. Yeah, that's that. You probably couldn't do that with these newer cars. So with the computers, you'd probably have some problem. And then the computer, your mechanic, would find out. Well, we got your car fixed, so we had to take take that kid off of your car. You know, kind of was messing up them. Yeah, so it's 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 rather interesting. Wow. Um, yeah, see it's the bottom of the hour, and we did bring up, uh, you know, technology, so I think it'll be a good segue uh, for it. And so what it got here um, is I played this uh, clip last week, but I, I want to play it, you know, for those who have not heard it, whether they're new to the show or just didn't get to that part of the show when we listened to last week. It was towards the end of the show last week. Uh, but I do want to, you know, play it again and – have a you know brief discussion on it because then uh, unfortunately we'll have to uh, close things out for the, for the evening. Uh, but let's go ahead and this is uh, Eileen Collins. She was at the 
RNC convention. Uh, she was uh, one of the first women, the first women to uh, pilot a space shuttle, and she's going to talk about uh, making America great again uh, through our uh, technology and space program. And I, and I really think that will be uh, an integral part uh, in making America great again because, you know, we did it uh, back in 1969. We haven't really done anything with uh, it since, at least, or at least since Obama scrapped the uh, the shuttle program. Uh, but there's just so much technologies we have today uh, that we could think because of the you know, the space program that we really need to invigorate it. And I think it really will uh, assist us uh, in, in a big way to in a significant way of, of making America great again. To command a space shuttle mission. From the moment the first pilgrims arrived on our shores, Americans have been asking, what's next? We are a nation built by the passion of people who weren't afraid to do something first, to step into the unknown and to pave our own way forward. We are a nation of explorers. In 1961, President Kennedy issued a challenge to America to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth. And 47 years ago, on this very day, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin answered that call and they walked on the moon. They took with them an American flag and a plaque bearing the inscription, Here, men from planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969. We came in peace for all mankind. We landed on the moon to fulfill a leadership challenge and to explore. We know that exploration leads to invention, innovation, and discovery. For example, our successful robotic missions to Mars, Jupiter, and Pluto have provided valuable information about our own planet. But in 2011, the space shuttle program ended. The last time the United States launched our own astronauts from our own soil was over five years ago. We must do better than that. <laughs> countries that are strong are countries that explore, invent, and discover to remain resilient in a changing world. I'm honored to have played a role in our nation's heritage of explorers as the first woman to command a space shuttle mission, joining the ranks of those that have fought to lead the way. Thanks. And we are all so proud of our Apollo program that put our astronauts on the moon first in peace for all mankind. 
Nations that lead on the frontier lead in the world. We need that visionary leadership again. Leadership that will inspire the next generation of explorers to have that same passion. We need leadership that will ask Americans, Americans will ask again, what's next? We need leadership that will make America's space program first again. And we need leadership that will make America great again. I want to thank all of you. Thank you for what you're doing. God bless America. We don't have to hear the sky. Of course, a lot of the people cheering. Go ahead, Kelly. Was that Sarah Palin? No, that was, uh, yeah, it did kind of sound, bring it up, uh, it did uh, kind of sound like Sarah Palin. Uh, but, uh, no, it was Eileen Collins. Uh, she was the first woman to pilot a space shuttle. Wow. Well, you know, uh, wow. the, the, men, the men that are cheering are not very smart when they heard that speech. You know why? Why is that? Because there's a conspiracy involved in this. See, Women are really simple about going to the moon. If they can put one man on the moon, why can't they put them all? Uh-oh. Yeah, from my understanding, we're, easy, we're, we're more easily replaced than women are. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I will not go into details with that, even though we are during the Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, where we uh, tend to kick in the back and have a little fun uh, with all of our seriousness. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's one of the reasons why uh, a guy supported, unfortunately, I can't vote for him, uh, Dennis Lambert. He's actually a Green Party candidate, but he was the only candidate among all of them, okay, that, that even talked about reinvigorating our space program. And think about it, folks, this is a Green Party candidate. He's uh, looking, uh, running for the, I believe, U.S. House member he serves, correct? I know it's a... House of Representatives, I, I, to be honest, I can't recall whether it's uh, state or, or national. I think national. But unfortunately, it's in my district, so I can't vote for them. But I'm going, I would if I could. Uh, just for the very fact that, well, of course, one is Green Party, uh, environmentalist. But two is, you know, the only one. I mean, you not only don't hear about invigorating the, the space program from a, a Green Party candidate, but there it is. Uh, and so, you know, I, I need to get back in, in touch with them. But I definitely want to, uh, you know, support him. It would be great if he'd be able to win for, for numerous reasons. Well, let's get, let's get Susan's input about if they can put one man on the moon, why not put them all? Yeah, go ahead, Susan. And, and Jean, what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> one man on the moon. We're going to fight here on air. Well, I'd rather put Hillary Clinton and Obama on the moon, but, you know. Like contaminate the moon. Uh, so. Nah, because uh, we're going to build a colony there one day, uh, as Newt Gingrich suggested, and they'll, you know, they'll still be there. Okay. Well, uh, hmm. I don't know what to say to it. I've, I've never been much for the uh, spending the money to go to the moon thing. That's 
to me a waste of tax dollars because I just don't feel there's anything there. and I don't know why we have to go there and spend all that money that could be used for other things. Sort of like the Christmas tree lighting. You mean, you mean like all the weapons all. and stuff that we spent? Oh, what what, what, what uh, is it better no. to spend our money on? I'm being facetious when I said weapons and stuff. Uh, but but <laughs> what else better is there than, as she said, we're humans. We are explorers. That's what we do. What what is there better than exploring, you know, exploring something else? What what is there? I'm just I'm sorry. I I think we have so many things to take care of in this country and people and problems that our money needs to go to those things. And I and I think our taxes need to be lowered big time. So, you know, it's, I'm sure there's someone like Donald Trump or Bill Gates that can fund these programs to go to the moon. They have the money, right? And Donald Trump wouldn't have to worry about eminent domain on the moon. Woo! <laughs> you know, I mean, but anyhow, um, I, I wanted to go back real quick to the um, CONCON, which is what the Berkers call it. Article 5 of the Constitution is clear. Two ways to pass amendments. Uh, the Convention to amend the Articles of Confederation wrote an entirely new constitution outside of scope. Ratification rules were rewritten in order to ensure passage. Are we comp- confident that the Constitution would not be rewritten and ratification rules thrown out? We stand opposed to calling for a convention, but support amending the Constitution through Congress. The solution is to obey the Constitution written in federal government, which spends our dollars for the moon and to harass Indians and all the other stuff, not amend a document that is ignored. So that's some of the reason the virtues are against. And I wondered if you knew that Mrs. Clinton, they got millions from Dow Chemical. They backed away from the effort to ban the toxic chemical that harms women. Yeah, it's come out now that they have received millions. Um, it's trichloroth. Or TCE. It's harmful to pregnant women. She changed her mind after the nation's largest major began partnering with and contributing to the global, Clinton Global Initiative and an advisory group linked to her husband, former President Bill Clinton. So there you go. We got a woman who took millions of dollars in Dow Chemical for the and back to the effort to ban. So she doesn't care about women. She claims she does. She's a, and the women. Oh, well, she's just so wonderful. No, she's not. She don't care anything about women. She don't care about anything but herself. So, I guess to me that's more important than the moon is uh, uh, chemicals like this and people taking bribes to, you know, whether it's the dark act or anything, that they don't care about the humans involved. So why should we be going to the moon or invading Syria or other places like that when we aren't taking care of our own backyard? Well, you know, I got some audio clips, and I really wish I, uh, you know, I got some audio clips, and I really wish uh, uh, we, you know, we had time to to, to play them because um, there's about, let's see, there's about 21, I don't like more than that, probably about 24 minutes worth of audio uh, that I got. And what I mentioned earlier uh, is the uh, you know helium three and the ben- and the benefits of that and what Eileen talked about uh, earlier uh, in her speech as she talked about all the different advancements that we have but you know not just and that helps uh, you know society I mean look at the you know the advancements in medicine the advancements in, in technology 
I mean, just for one small example, the microwave uh, came from space exploration. Uh, the, you know, rehydrating and dehydrating foods came from, explore, you know, space exploration. You know, so, you know, those are just, you know, two small examples. I'm sure if I did a Google search, we would uh, have much. We would, um, you know, have a whole litany or list of it. If I maybe say something, that would be one of the reasons, besides me just being a curious person, what's out there, you know, beyond Mars. And, you know, we, by now we uh, we would have been to Mars maybe perhaps. But I wonder else what they see out there. Some of those pictures they just send back are the beautiful bust of technology that, that it helps us grow. But then they they had this idea about the poor people, what, on the in New York or something that, that we we don't spend the money there, that we're going to make their lives better, and they're still probably in the slums. That, and I just felt that we should have been reaching out and 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 you know seeing and develop a new technology, the cell phone, the portable. There's so many things that came from that. The portable calculator, all these you know the computers, the laptops, all came from us from that space aspiration. I mean, you grow or else you go backwards. That's my two cents for. Okay, so you could have had those things invented with just without spending the money to actually shoot something into space. You could have, you could have done that, and I can go for that, but I can't, you know, see us wasting money on the actual all the money to just shoot a, a missile into space. But but I want to see. What, I want to see what's out there. Maybe there'll be some space dome someplace. Uh, Maybe there'd be people that travel out for a vacation out there somewhere. Well, maybe not Phoenix, but someplace out there on a trip. Okay. Well, well you can find like someone to trap, send your trip. Yeah, like the Star Trap Enterprise at Warp. The another another couple more warp speeds ahead. Warp factor eight or nine, really push it. We're in a hurry. We're, we have a, we have to go rest to those people that are out there. Yeah, I mean, I think just take the money that we're wasting on, you know, other things, like giving it to other countries, putting it on, oh, yeah. re- you know, spending it on refugees, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, if we would just, you know, reallocate the money that we're already spending, and I agree with lowering, you know, taxes as well. And I'm not saying the government pays all of it. You know, you, you do what uh, they talk about. You have a, a government business or, you know, private enterprise partnership where, you know, they come, to, you know, they can actually work together. Um, yeah, and you know, make make you go that way, you know. But the the one thing about that is, you know, with the you know, and, you know, I'm not against profits, but we want to definitely want to make sure that you know, it's about the technology. In my opinion, I think it's about the technology more than the profits, uh, because yeah, yeah. you don't want them to, you don't want them to, you know, cut you know cut corners just because they think that something's going to. And the government does it too, but doing the lowest bidder. I mean, you know what, uh, to cut costs and cut safety and what you can do. Another reason we can save money, too, is stay out of places like Iraq. If we didn't do any good over there, we destabilize it. And the same way about the Shah of Iran, that would have saved money if we would have left those countries alone. Yeah, that's true. I agree. Would you like to chime in on that? My pet peeves. 
about the shot of Iran? Well, did we lose Kelly there? Mr. Austin. I don't know much. Yeah, I don't know much about the Shah of Iran. Oh. I know an awful Good lot man. about Shah Na but not the Shah of Iran. Uh, I do. I wrote a blog on him. Uh, I did the research. Oh, really? Well, well, was, well let's, let's, let's hear your thoughts then. It was Kissinger and uh, um, Carter working together that got rid of him and put in the Comey. The evil Republican and the evil uh, Democrat, stupid, ignorant Democrat, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, they got rid of him. He's a good man. And women and Christians had more rights under him than under a lot of leaders over there. I've seen pre-Kohomini Iran, and let me tell you, the girls were wearing swimsuits, they were out on the beach, they had parties, they had jobs. I mean, it was it was pretty, you know, modern and open. But no, if we had to interfere. And speaking of, who said that? Uh, what was that thing you said earlier in the thing? Um, hmm. Oh, uh, let, let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah, that's well, one of Kissinger's favorite. Yeah, that's one of Kissinger's favorite sayings. Never let it, yeah. that. That was his mantra. That was his mantra. Mantra, yeah. Yep, that's total. That's the way the establishment works. Uh, they create the crisis so they can be the heroes when they come and solve it. They just ask us to give up our liberties for a little more security. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, and we would deserve neither. <laughs> mm. Uh, Benjamin Franklin brilliantly said this. He said, he would give up a little bit of freedom for a little more security deserves neither. And yep, uh, close. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. By the way, he, he designed the first coin of the United States after the Constitution of 1787, and it was called the Fugio. I saw one. It was six. It was 1,500 bucks. For this coin. Wow. Wow. The coin, the coin was made from the, uh, it was made from copper. Where did the copper come from? The, the gun, the gunpowder kegs that the French sent us had copper bands. They took all those bands, melted them down, and made the Fugio. On the front of it, uh, it said, well, Fugio, which is Latin for I fly. On the back of the coin, it said, mind your business. Ha, <laughs> ha. Something well, how do you put that on the back of a little coin? I said that again, Robert. Mm-hmm. I said, "Wow, that's a lot to put in the back of a coin. It's small. Could be Mind small print. Your business. <laughs> well, I guess well, it's only three words, but that's a lot for a small coin. Well, but anyway, you know, I do see common. Unfortunately, we got we got to do our closing comments, uh, okay. which is about three minutes. Uh, Uh, so let's go ahead and we'll start the closing uh, comments first with you, uh, Gene, and then with you, uh, Kelly. No, Kelly, and then Susan, and I'll have to close things out. Now, let's see. I, I don't have much for right now. I reserve a right for a comment. 
But that's one on the hot seat. Well, that would be you, Kelly. You got the hot seat, man. <laughs> and actually, uh, I, 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 the hot you know, seat. The hot seat. Well, <laughs> we're, we're in for a wild ride here the next few months. Um, silver's at twenty dollars, hovering a little above, a little below. Um, the Middle East is trying to uh, raise oil prices. It's retracing the supply. It's going to hurt our economy. Gold and silver are going to continue to go up. Um, we cannot continue to live this fantasy of um, indebting our next, <laughs> indebting our next generations. For excuse, pardon the cough here. I'm sounding like Hillary Clinton. So we cannot continue to indebt the, uh, our future generations for the prosperity we're having today. And uh, I, I really like what the Indians um, in their thinking was whatever choices they made, how did this affect the seventh generation from now? And uh, so, you know, I... I got a mining partner. He's part Karuk, and he's a really cool, amazing guy. And um, where am I going with this? We have to think about our, our our kids a lot more than what we have been. And uh, maybe if we happen to follow the Constitution, our kids will be protected better than what has, has been happening. Um, so many issues. It's it's just mind blowing, but. You know, I guess next week we'll try to solve the world's problems again in a three-hour session. Yep, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) I yield. Well, all right. Well, then, the last guess that leaves it up. uh, And so that leaves it up to me. Okay. So I will say again uh, for next week, uh, we will have – our Stanford Horn come on talking about the First Amendment. So join us for that. Um, and so we uh, okay. I'm multitasking again, uh, talking, uh, chatting, and talking at the same time. Uh, but we'll have him on next week to talk about the First Amendment. And uh, we are still working on uh, some other guests uh, on after that as well. Uh, as I said it earlier, we are. Trying to get Mary Bundy on uh, from the Bundy Ranch. Uh, that is Tom and I are working on that. So we'll see if I get some contact with her uh, so that we uh, can do that and, uh, you know, talk more about the situation. Of course, it's, you know, kind of passed, but there's still a little bit going on with it. And we'll also, uh, you know, carry on from there. So I want to thank everyone again for coming on. Definitely check out two things. One, the Patriot Journalist Network. And I still hear some background noise, so please mute your mic. Uh, and please uh, visit the web. Uh, that's the Patreon. I still hear the background. Okay, I'm going to have to mute things. Um, at www.patriotjournalist.com. There's also the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, check out also the newsroom uh, where you can see the different articles that's provided by the website. Uh, so check that out. And if you, uh, you can also subscribe uh, to the you can also subscribe to the newsletter uh, for the Bard's Logic Newsroom. So I want to say good night, folks. Take care. And I will end the night 
as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So check that out. And so, again, take care and good night. Good night. Thank you.